Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Episode 283 is here to greet you, with Graham McMillan and I gabbing about the arrivals in 2020 of the Best of 2000 AD and the international comics classic, Asterix. But we also leave room to talk about Wonder Woman, Dead Earth by Daniel Warren Johnson, Volumes 9 through 16 of Initial D by Shuichi Shigeno, Terminator, Dark Fate, Legion of Superheroes Number 1 by Brian Michael Bendis and Ryan Sook, Spider-Man Life Story, Mark Bagley Life Story, and much, much more in this two-and-a-half-hour episode. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, you need a safe word. What? Yes, yes, it's true. I, Graham, let me tell you, I... <laughs> what? Yes, Yes. No, I know. It's scary. It's scary. But it is true. You may need a safe word for this episode so that if things start getting a little out of control, you can, you know, set up the verbal flare, so to speak. Because to work it in reverse order. No, no. Let's go forward order. I'm on day. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Let me just make this clear. I have no idea what you're talking about, and I'm very uh, excited slash cautious. Yes. <laughs> okay, go. Okay. First off, let's see how far back your not knowing goes. You do know what a safe word is, right? Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. Why I would need one for the podcast. <laughs> right. Is, is, is and that's thing. what I'm getting to. So I am on the first day off of a two-week staycation. I, I was going to ask. But anyway, keep going. And last night I managed to get so incredibly recreationally high that I have been a manic chatterbox for – Almost 24 hours to the point where I'm starting to worry that I may be having a manic split from reality. I don't think so. I mean, I've got a whole story about that. Not about me, but seeing it happen to someone else <laughs> that I could – I think it's somewhat beside the point. So I'll get to that later, you know, if it's a thing you want to talk about. But – then to top things off, and I have should be somewhat discreet because one thing I have now learned about my mother is I never actually know when she's paying attention. And oh, I would like oh, to good. believe that most of the time she is not. But hopefully that is the case for this particular episode because I saw her today at 2 p.m. for what I was hoping would be a two-hour, oh, your new place is so nice, Mom. Hey, that's great. And it turned into a four-hour, her sort of passive-aggressively spinning us into going to dinner, 110% back on her bullshit. So I have been holding my tongue with all these mad thoughts spinning around in my head, all of which is to say it's a volatile mix. I'm a volatile mix today, Graham McMillan. Hopefully in a good entertaining way, there's a good chance that I could just run out of energy and be weeping like in about 10 minutes. But if the manic energy keeps up, 
you should think about us setting up a safe word so that if I go too far, you can pull the plug. Okay, I'll take all of this under advisement. Uh, let's see. Safe word. Safe word is going to be flex mentalo. <laughs> Perfect. Let me write it down. Okay, I actually should write it down as well, shouldn't I? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's... I'm literally just writing Flex Mentalo on a piece of paper that happens to be next to the computer. Yeah. So inevitably what that means is on, like, Tuesday, I'm going to be like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'm trying to set the font to bold and large on my notes program. God help me. I I think I should remember it. Do you make notes, Jeff, as we talk? No, no, no. No, I don't. But I do have. I was the... going to say, like that's that's not what I do. But I I always, when I'm editing drunk, make notes as I edit. Right, which is great. I I believe me. I can't tell you how much I wish that I made notes while we talked because it would make the editing process a little bit faster. No, 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 no. But of course, like you, I have the computer on so that we can talk and record. Uh, and then I usually have a minimal amount of windows because the internet uh, in my neck of the woods is generally godforsaken. But I can usually support a browser window. And yeah, so I've got Apple Notes open. So I just wrote Flex Metallo and blew it up to a very large font. Um, I, somewhat, I just want to invoke it now just to see what happens. <laughs> okay. You know, like just just to see. Graham, I've, I... I'm sure there is some sort of, you know, BDSM uh, 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 term for someone who does that, but I don't know what it is. I have to. I was going to say, so, someone leave it in the comments. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is going to be the best comment thread ever if anyone takes you <laughs> off on like, that challenge. I'm just going to like make shit up, which oh, will be even better. Oh, right? yeah, that would be fabulous. That's called the pink flamingo. It's and we'd called... be like, is it? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The Jerry Conway. Really? I, huh. The Jerry Conway is, of course, when you create uh, a new move called the Justice League Detroit and then pull out just before the end. (laughs) (laughs) That's a reference for people who don't know the Justice League Detroit. The Jerry Conway leaves like four issues before the series ends. God, that (laughs) is the best. Because I got to say, just the... I thought if you'd left the joke alone at the Justice League Detroit, for many of us, that is, you know, that's the superhero team Dirty Sanchez equivalent. But then you go and talk about pulling out right before the end. Great. Great material, Graham. <laughs> oh, we, where are we going already? This I know. It's already an episode. Buckle uh, up, buttercup. Uh, yeah. Um, so, Graham, tell me, tell me perhaps about your week. I mean, we've got comics to talk about. We haven't talked about comic news in a way in a while. I was actually thinking that as we were as we were heading up. Yeah. Uh, in part because you saw the 2018 news this week, right? Yes. So therefore, how, we don't have to talk about it too bad, listeners. No, I'm kidding. We should. We should. Well, well how it. do you, how do you feel about it? Because you know, I feel like you've been getting into 2018 sort yes. of via dread, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and you also in the eighties read the previous like U.S. two thousand eighty feeder comics, some, right? Like, some like of so, them. so I yeah. should say not a lot. News, no. Yeah, the news is Rebellion is launching a new series in April next year. It's twelve issue mini called Best of two thousand eighty. It's going to be an oversized U.S. format book, by which I mean 
the same dimensions as, as an American comic, but it'll be extra length. Um, and the idea is going to be four series reprinted from 2080. Right. Um, the, uh, no, I, I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Because it's one of these things where, like, I can't remember what's officially been announced and what I know, because right. I know more than it's been officially announced, but it launches with a, a 100-page first issue. Wow. And it is, uh, it's 48 pages of that is Dread. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're, they haven't officially said what the other series are. But... Uh, like I said, like you, you're you previously have had like you know U.S. experience to 2008 when Eagle Comics and Quality Comics did this in the in the 80s, right? right? Yeah. Um, like, are, do you think this is a good move? Do you think this is exciting? Oh, is- I think I think it's actually well. Okay, so there's a, there's a few qualifiers that I have from not digging. I think far enough into the PR release. I I think that if each volume is oversized and priced very low um you know because i i'm assuming they don't have to pay uh reprint fees to the creators um, i mean I, I actually think they do i i like I, I i don't know if it's going to be a lot of money but i'm fairly sure like they'll have some form of, of well i hope so so yeah. but all, all of which is to say like if it's a hundred pages and Four ninety nine. I think that it will be a great way to get people onto the two thousand AD wagon. If it's a hundred pages for four ninety nine for the first issue, and then each additional issue is, I don't know, sixty four pages for four ninety nine. I think that that is a, a solid deal. If it if the price point goes up, page points go down, page counts go down, I start getting a little iffier. Because to me, I think one of the things that's very smart about it is that the the best of 2000 AD is, is, a, is a good way to sort of ease American readers into the, the 2000 AD anthology format in, yeah. a, in a kind of gentle way. Mm-hmm. But... Um, depending on how that works, depending on the follow-up, part of me is, is kind of, um, I, I almost wish in a way that they were just going to do a crazy balls out, you know, six ninety nine. it's all reprints or four ninety nine. it's all reprints, but it's weekly for like three months. And then that way, the people who actually do hop on that train, will be basically ready to to jump into the 2000 AD experience. Yeah, yeah. So that those are kind of my newbie neophyte type impressions. Like I was super excited to to sign up and you know, I subscribed to 2000 AD through uh Apple through Apple's magazine things way back when. Mm-hmm. Like that must mm-hmm. have been like 4 or 5 years back now. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I think that part of the reason why I did that is the iPad and Apple's comic markets were still so new and unformed. It was it was kind of an exciting time to try and take that plunge and and making that commitment by subscribing. I don't remember if I did a full year. I think I couldn't have. I think it was just a month. But basically, 
that month gave me four issues and it was kind of like, okay, you know, it, I, I dove into the deep end of the pool and for a good six to nine months until I fell behind and then just couldn't catch up. It, it was great. And I do think that that's the optimal 2000 AD experience. Ultimately, the American versions, uh, it, it just comes and goes. I think I think there's a lot of things that have changed since the American reprints when I was a quote unquote kid. Um, I feel that, you know, better for better or for worse. I feel like, for example, American comic book readers are uh, more trained through uh the big two's publication formats to say having a story arc in which the art changes um, several times potentially before the end of the story is, is um, again, for better or for worse, much more commonplace in the American market back in the eighties uh, when it was happening, it seemed it was, it was very um, uh, disconcerting. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know, you know, I think there's a lot of factors like the anthology, like, I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. I, I really think that it's awesome that they're doing it and I'm excited, but I feel like, I feel like it's, there's, um, hopefully I'm wrong, but I feel like there's sort of a narrow tightrope to walk and hopefully they'll be able to walk it, Mm -hmm. I guess. So that's that's kind of my my you know jerk on the street view of it. How about yourself? What do you think? I mean it it is pretty exciting, but I mean do you, are are there ways in which you think this has a high chance of working or alternately do you think uh, that there's a big mistake that they can make if they're not careful they should avoid or I mean I think it it's all ultimately going to rely on the choice of material. Mhm. And I know uh, some of the material that's going in there, and I can't say anything, but they're definitely choosing some of the material really smartly for an American audience. Okay, that's good. That's really good. Um, the uh, I said you may or may not have seen at some point this week. I, I made a comment about like I was having a shitty week, but like I'd seen a couple of things that really lifted my spirits. Yes. Um, one of them was I've seen some of the covers for the 2080 best mm. of. I should say, it's all new covers. Right. Um, the first issue covers by Jamie McKelvey, mm-hmm. and then there are covers, the ones they have named are Erica Henderson, um, Charlie Adlard. Right. And uh, there's another person. There's another name. I can't think what it is. Right. Let's see. I'm trying to find the... Those were the three that I remember, but I do feel like there was a fourth Becky and maybe Clunan. a fifth. Becky Clunan right. is the other one. Becky oh, Clunan. and Annie Wu. Ah, right. Uh, and I will tell you that I have seen three of those covers, mm-hmm. and they're great. Yeah, I would have <laughs> like they're they're I... just very it's just very good artwork of characters that I like, mm-hmm. and sometimes that does just make you go, ah, oh, comics. Yes, I I'm you know very excited to see Becky Cloonan's cover. I will say that. So. Um, so it yeah that, you know that that was one things. I'm, I am excited. Mm-hmm. I am nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot to be excited about. I, the fact that it's, it's being designed by Tom Muller is very exciting. 
Mm. I think he's a really great designer. Mm. I think uh, having him do this, especially when he's on a high with House of X, feels like a good idea. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, however, I'm weirdly not like nervous, but the fact that this is twelve issue series seems odd to me. Yes, it's like okay, that feels like you're putting an, an, an end cap on it mm-hmm. that may exist. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm really, I'm really uh, curious to see how it's going to turn out. Mm-hmm. But as a concept, as a thing that's happening, I'm, I hope it's going to be a massive success. To be honest, right? I, there's so much good material in 2080. Yeah. That the idea that like this could help actually find purchase in the US market finally is very exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I I agree. Like you said, the twelve issue limitation, which I did not know, part of me is like, Oh, it makes sense, but I'm sort of like depending on how it looks, like it may not be it may not be a poor choice because in a way it gives incentive for retailers to invest in it in a way because it's I, like – Yeah. It gives incentive for fans to pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. like it's, it's, it's a limited run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yes, I suppose that's true. I mean I'm like, yeah, but it's a limited run of reprint material. You know what I mean? Like It's kind of like uh, – in in that way, I don't know how to describe it. It's I think there, there, right. So, I think there is something. I think there's an argument to be made for it's a year long experiment, right? right? I just feel that as a reader and as a fan, right? Honestly, makes it sound like they're hedging their bets, right? Whereas if they presented it in the form of the idea of it's twelve issues because each issue is focused on a different 2000 AD character sort of in the main pole position story. And then there's a bunch of backup stories of various blah, blah, blahs, such that someone who might be curious about Rogue Trooper can get the Rogue Trooper issue. You know what I mean? Like, then it sort of feels like, oh, okay, it's curated. But but the, yeah, it's a limited series is kind of... uh, like you said, it's sort. Of, there's a little bit of the eh, we're hedging our bets in in ways that I think, if it was new material and it was just going to keep going, there's an incentive for uh, comic store owners to purchase it, to hand sell it because it then becomes an ongoing thing. 12 issues sort of makes sense because the idea they don't no one risks losing too much money in a way but it can lead it's worth hand selling because the comic book store owner can push people toward the trades you know or the collections yeah, 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 or exactly. the issues well but that's just it so so Rebellion has been putting out um, collections in the U.S. through Simon Schuster, I think, mm-hmm. um, for for years now. Mm-hmm. And in theory, this could, instead of being a feeder market for 2008, be a feeder market for the collections. Yes, right, right. You know, like this, they could be, and this could be the publishing plan for all I know. And I literally have no insight into this. But if this is instead of people being like, we wanted to pick up 2008, you know, as it is released in the U.K. and then comes over through Diamond. Like it's less that than more. Two thousand D is a brand that you will trust, and now get the two thousand D collections. Right, 
And I you think, know, right, exactly. I think, and I, I, that I, makes a lot of sense to me. But like that might be the smarter way to go, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I think so too. And in a sense, I almost wish that they had sort of played that up as in very openly, as in like, hey, this is a curated, again, they're sort of, they are pushing that in a way, but they're also kind of, it's a, it's, it's a little, there's a little bit of fish or fowl, uh, neither fish nor fowl in the way that the language felt, I guess. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Potentially very exciting. I do think that, you know, one of the great things about doing Drock with you over, you know, coming up on a year is, uh, is it over a year? Are we over no, here? I mean, we're, no, no, we're just like we just did volume nine. Sorry, so I've sort of flashed forward. I'm like, are we on volume nineteen? Uh, the psychotic <laughs> split is starting. Uh, I, I, yeah, we have one of the great things about doing it over the course of this last year is like, holy shit, there is a ridiculously deep bench of good solid material right there just in Judge Dread alone. So, and knowing from having dipped my toe into. Uh, some of the other Judge Dredd material, usually the classic stuff, but even some of the recent stuff, it's there's a lot of great material there. So I really do want to see people discover it for their own good because it's like this shit's great. Yeah, exactly. And and there is uh, the other thing is like and I I have no idea how much they're going to play this up when they release it when they release best of, but there's so many creators that are known in the American market. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Mm-hmm. What like you're loving Immortal Hulk? Great. Here's some Al Ewing. Right. You you like you like Dan Abnett stuff on you know whatever the fuck he's doing these days. Like we have a measured shit ton of Dan Abnett stuff, right. which honestly is better than all of his American stuff. You know, like they they have stuff where they can go. You know, X creator, we have them as well. Sure. Yeah. No. And I yeah. And I think that's I think that makes uh I think that makes a lot of sense. Like they can do it if they do it right. In a way, I also had a thing of like, I kind of, you know, part of me is like, it is, it would be, it's a shame they couldn't quite rally the forces to commission new work from other creators that are big. You know what I mean? Because it's, I know that people are like, "Mm, material's always new if it's new to you, I guess, but the marketplace doesn't always look at it that way. Whereas... Well, exactly. And if they've done, like, the DC route, right? Where, Mm -hmm. like, you get the 100-page Giants and 12 pages of it is new. Right. Exactly. Right. And then it's a Jonathan Hickman dread. Then, like, you're kind of like, ooh. You know what I mean? Well, that's just like, honestly... you know, thinking about this, I'd had the same thought. I, 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 was, I was like, you know, what would you do if you had like a Bendis dread, as, as ridiculous as that seems? Yeah, like no, a, no, 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 completely. Dread, or a Hickman dread, right. or Jason Aaron dread. Like Jason Aaron's dread would be great. Right, absolutely. So all those things, but even mess them around. I think Bendis would do an amazing, uh, well, uh, amazingly good or bad Rogue Trooper, for example. You know what I mean? Like, there'd be a lot of... You could biochips in existence. Yeah, yeah, right? You would... It, you, there's there's a lot of dream casting that would be really fun. And I, I do think that that... Because there's a certain amount of the marketplace that... Uh, of Not a very large part, but of American 2000 AD fans who have been reading it for a long time and have caught up on the collections and God help them are buying it in that format via diamond. That is just not 
so great. But yeah, it's, it's literally like the diamond. The diamond uh, releases of, of 2003 are just hell. Like yeah, you have astonishing patience. Yeah, not just because it comes out like three months later, but also because they're not regular in the least. Like you get a pack, a monthly pack that isn't monthly. Yes, exactly. Which is insanity. So all of which is to say, those people have a lot of endurance. There's not a lot of them, but they're there. And for them to be like, oh, an all reprint book that of which the only new material is covers, like, am I going to buy that? You know, as opposed to a little bit of a, oh, it's all a bunch of stuff that I know, but it's also my chance to see Jonathan Hickman doing uh, the Ballad of Halo Jones. I'm I'm going to do it. You know, so yeah. you know the flip side is, is of course. By only having a new cover, mm-hmm. rebellions uh, fight like they're they're sinking not no money into this, right? But much less money into this. No, absolutely. Like, oh, and and twelve pages is is all new. Yeah, no, and and it is. I mean, part of it is like in theory, you could then turn around and flip that back if you buy the English Brit serialization thing. But I see. No, I totally see what you're saying. They're not. They're not made of money. God knows this is the comics industry, right? So I, I know for that, like it's the British comics industry trying to break into the American market, right? And for all that we talk about how small the American comic market is, like 2008 is still small compared with that, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, no, it's uh, it's 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 quite a thing. I I'll be curious to see how it goes, but I mean. I keep begging and ple- you know, praying for a way in which the weekly anthology comic lands on it lands in America and establishes a beachhead the it's way it has in Japan and it, US. Yeah. Hmm? It is kind of amazing that it hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean like at this point, especially with manga having been such a thing? Yeah. You know, it's kind of amazing to me that someone hasn't made that work. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, when was the last time anyone really tried to do a weekly anthology? Was it really like Action Comics Weekly in the eighties? Well, I mean, Is that it, really it? I mean, I it depends. I mean, an open ended weekly anthology. I mean, Action Comics well, what, Weekly. When but... was when was a less when was a closed ended weekly anthology? Well, Batman and Robin Eternal from just a few years. Was back. an anthology? Oh, you're right. Sorry, it was a weekly book. You're right, right, right. Sorry. Yeah, no. I mean, you're right. I don't know Action Comics Weekly, and then literally, I think when Viz was reprinting, wasn't was Pulp only monthly? Was it not weekly? I honestly, you you would know more than right, I. and and of course Joe McCulloch would know more than both of us. But I don't, I, I I honestly don't remember. All of which is to say, yeah, why not? And it could well be that America, because of the American comics industry being so quote unquote so much larger than say the UK, you kind of don't have a you don't have the the opportunity. Well, yeah, you kind of you don't have to. It's not just like oh, it's this or nothing. I mean, yeah, that's just exactly. It. Like UK, it's this or nothing. With, mm-hmm. But also, people grew up with it. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like when I was a kid, especially, and you know, you're you are admittedly going back like decades now. Mm-hmm. But that was what comics were. Even when like Marvel was putting out comics in the UK at the time, yeah, they were weekly anthology comics because that's, that's right. what a comic was. Right. 
Well, and it was also it was pretty low cost and no frills, and I mean, at least is that from what I remember of the Marvel stuff, you know? Oh yeah, like one of these days, I'm going to find a treasure trove of like British weekly anthologies, especially from the 80s, mm-hmm. to get for you, because your mind would explode, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, I have like, there was some, about like it. I, I, I grew up on a thing called Future Tense, which didn't even last a year. Wow, but it was. Star Trek, Micronauts, ROM. Oh, God. Ah, shit. There was like two other strips. They basically had five strips, but everything was like three or four pages, and that was it. Right, right. But, I mean, that's just like fucking great. I'm fairly sure Warlock was in there at some point, like right, the Starlord sure. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Um, right. But, like, that, you know, that's what it was. And there was also Forces in Combat, which had like the the – the Sergeant Fury stuff in there. Holy shit. You know? Wow. And, and like, Shang-Chi, I think, was in that as well. Mm. And, like, even Spider-Man. Spider-Man, it was, like, Spider-Man and Iron Man and Captain America, blah, blah, blah. Right. You know? Right. You always had those things. Like, I remember I was in, oh, God, I was, like, finishing primary school, which means I was probably, like, you know, 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my favorite comic at the time was Thor and the X-Men. Wow. Which was literally... Thor mm-hmm. from like let's say the like the late seventies I guess right um and the original X Men run wow. but like not the Lee and Kirby stuff like the the yeah. Werner Roth Ro- uh, Roy Thomas and uh, Werner Roth yeah wow yeah you know I, but like that's that's just what comics were. You know, like when Transformers came out, Transformers is is like a massively important comic for a lot of like for a generation of British comics. Oh fans. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, like Transformers comes out, and it's still two stories an issue, mm-hmm. and it's Transformers the launch. It's Transformers and the Ditko Machine Man stuff. Wow. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, because as no comic was just this lead strip. Right. There was always another strip. Yeah. Because because the, the alternatives are, like, you know, when you're a kid, you're reading, like, Buster or The Beano, and those are all, like, one- and two-page comedy strips. Right. And there's just a shit ton of them, every mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. And then you graduate to 2018, and then there's, like, five stories, and the stories are all five pages each. Right. You know? And then, so even when Marvel's like, no, we're doing a book where it's, it's like, the book's called The Transformers. It's about the Transformers, or, like, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like, the Star Wars book in the, the late 70s, early 80s, like, I read – that's the first place I read Rocket Raccoon mm-hmm. because, like, the really early stuff, like, the first appearances were reprinted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so was Tales of the Watcher, which was old Marvel, like, anthology material stuff, but they created new, like, Watcher intros to them. Oh, man. Right? Or Star-Lord was in there. Right. The Claremont Burton Star-Lord was in Star Wars. Right, right. You know, so it was weird shit that kind of tied in with, you know, what the main, what the comic was quote unquote about. Right. But because Marvel really didn't have that much of that stuff, if you're reading these other titles, which are appealing to the mainstream British audiences, you're reading really obscure stuff. Right. Which is, which is, I mean, great for our, you know, it's always ridiculous that I'm older than you and you are yet somehow have read everything that I read growing up at approximately the same time, despite because of this crazy time warp, you know, plus of course you read all the other stuff that I was not tracking. Let me ask you though, Graham, in that sense, it sounds great, but as a kid 
would you have preferred it if it was just Star Wars and it was just well, the month he, of full Star Wars story? Because all these stories are being chopped up, up yes, in bits. Yes, so. yes. And depending on the era of Marvel, especially, mm-hmm. the chopping up was done uh, in different ways. Mm-hmm. Right? So, for example, when Star Wars started, they would have someone create new splash pages. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you wouldn't really miss anything. Right. And like when you got to the early 80s and they're doing stuff like Force of Com- Force and Combat or Future Tense or, or the other books, they're just like chopping off like a panel or shaving down the panels on the, the pages to start each strip mm-hmm. to put in a title. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And then later on, they'd basically shrink the page and create like a frame that would do a story so far. Mm. Um. I don't know, because there was a point where I realized, fairly young, that like all of this stuff was reprinted. Mm-hmm. You could get the American comics, and American comics were in color, which the British comics were not. Right. But the American comics only had the one story, and it was a complete story. Right. Right? Because even as a kid, you could tell, like, you know, it's a continuing story, but you could tell, I'm getting half an issue. You Like, you were aware of this somehow. Well, of course, because half the stories ended up with... Instead of a, a splash cliffhanger, somebody walking off panel, you know, because that yeah, was... Yeah, and not just that, like, you could tell, it, depending on how much attention you're paying, you could also tell because, like, the continued next week thing mm-hmm. would seem to be, like, literally hand-scrawled underneath the panel. <laughs> you know? Like, things like that, like, you'd pick up on. Um, but it was weird because you could pick those books up if you, you found them in the news agent. You find them. I remember finding an issue of Spider Man, like an American Spider Man comic, that had the complete story that I'd seen the first part of in the British Spider Man comic. Mm-hmm. You know, and you get this weird dissonance where you're like, but, you know, it's in color, but I read it first in black and white. And so it feels weird. Like it feels false, even though it's the original article. Mm-hmm. You know? Um,. Would I prefer it? I don't think I would in a really strange way. I get it. Like, I, because I, 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 so I, I really did. Like, I read Future Tense, and that's how I first read ROM. That's how I first read Micronauts. Right. So, <coughs> pardon me. It's how I first read Star Trek comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read them in their American things since. Right. Like, you know this. I went and fucking got every issue of Micronauts. Yes. Right? And they seem wrong somehow. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Like, the rhythm seems wrong. Sure. Um, it seems not overwhelming, but it seems like you're getting too much at once. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, Micronauts is supposed to end after three pages. Mm-hmm. You know, it it just is. Like, that's that's my Right, so it's thing. a little bit of a too much of a good thing that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it should also be pointed out that, uh, especially for Future Tense, and I think other books as well, as they got less successful... They switched to monthly. Mm-hmm. Um, Future Tense especially switched to monthly and had, I think it was just Star Trek and Micronauts. But it was full American issues of each, in each issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and I remember that seemed extravagant. Right. But so again, wrong. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Just like, no. no. Why? Why is there so much Micronauts? Like, I don't want 17 pages of Micronauts. Well, so anyway, at least when I was a kid, and and this is, I mean, we'll have to see at what point this stopped being the case, if at all. But I would, 
my thesis would be that, you know, in that classic, oh, America, everything's bigger there. The hamburger's the size of a car in Texas. Like, the American comics anthology was spending a dollar fifty on comics back when comics were a quarter apiece. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you did you what your anthology was basically being able to read six comic books a week, right? Mm-hmm. And so well, for that since that I feel like that was the case through so much of you know, my childhood and even into the eighties that where things were going with manga and British comics were different solutions and, and, and solutions that maybe arose out of scarcity. And then, you know, in the case of something like manga, like really scaled up fantastically. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the UK has sort of continued to, you know, hang in there at least in the case of 2000 ad so what well, is something that uh well two things to speak to you know it seems to have hung in the uk you've heard of the phoenix right yes yeah in fact i had a subscription i almost mentioned it when you were talking about uh bino and wizards uh, the wizard yeah right so mm-hmm. but that's like that's the phoenix is new yeah. like relatively new phoenix is less than 10 years old i think wow. um and that is, in many ways, a revival of a format that has, for the extent, like with the exception of the Bino and 2080, basically gone away. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's funny to see that sort of thing come back. And honestly, especially for humor comics, I think that's a great format. You know, two base strips, and then you just fuck off. Then you're just done. Right. Well, you know, like yeah. Although one of the things that was great about the digital version of Phoenix that I was reading is it did have one, you know. A uh, jocular adventure strip that continued from yeah, the like well, I mean, Philip smart. Pullman was writing was writing it for the Phoenix for a while. There, there's a uh, wow. Philip yeah. Pullman did like a continuing adventure strip for the Phoenix for quite some time. Holy smokes, that's amazing! Uh, it's it's they put out Scholastic put out book collections here. Like mm. people who are interested, you can go and find it. Like it's, it's Scholastic put out in the US. Um, but the other thing was, you know, you're talking about American anthologies, and I was just saying this last week. I got. The, an issue of Adventure Comics because it had the end of the Conway New Gods in it. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's an anthology comic. Yeah. You know, like, DC did their dollar, com- dollar comics in the yes. late 70s. Right. And it was relatively close to 2000 AD. Yeah. Like, the strips were a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But it was like, you know, here's six strips right. and they're short stories. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is your book. And it's always kind of been a surprise to me that that never caught on, with the exception of when. DC tried it with Action Comics Weekly. It was very obvious how few writers knew how to work in that much space or yeah, that little space. That little space, like, exactly. They, there's some terrible writing going on there. Yeah, because yeah. they just don't know how to pace themselves. Yeah, to to fit in those pages to do a weekly strip. Yep. You know, there's there's a point where towards the end, um, Alan Grant's doing a, a demon comic in there. Oh, a wow! Demon strip. Right. It's super like it's maybe four issues. It's right before the end of this this series. It's right mm-hmm. before it goes back to being a monthly. Um, and apparently, a he didn't realize it was going to be a weekly strip. Like he wrote oh, it as like no, issue, like an issue, and it got cut up because like they needed something. The one guy but, who fucking knew how to write a wait, weekly but, strip. Okay, sorry. But yeah. what I was going to say is like even within that, his pages still worked better than everyone else's. Oh, I'm sure. 
right? Because Grant understood that, you know, basically you can do stuff in like five-page chunks. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, because the other writers just didn't. You had you had stories where if you read them in a collection, well, of course, they never collected any of the shit with the exception of um, the Nightwing stuff weirdly got collected. Hmm. But um, – was well, it Nightwing? So of course it is. Do you know what I mean? Like there's there's a Nightwing sort of weird. We put out random Nightwing comics in the '80s collection that DC put out a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, no, really, there is. It's it's a weird half-ass collection. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you read the collection, if you read them, or if if you were me and you had all the comics, you read like the the serials when they were done. You could get a satisfying story out of it, but in individual chapters, right? It was like, and here's a chapter where nothing happens. Here's yeah. a chapter where two things happen very close together. Yeah. Here's a chapter where nothing happens again. Yeah. You know, and it was like, oh, guys, how hard is it to realize like something should happen each issue? You know, interest- like that's not difficult. Interestingly enough, the one thing that I remember where arguably they kind of got it, whether or not they did it, but and and this is based on me literally reading. The first two issues of Action Comics Weekly that were available. I mean, they've they've got a few on on DC Universe, but not not a lot. Yeah, it, I can't wait to put all of them on. I cannot wait. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that would be fabulous. If it, uh, it's probably never going to happen. But uh, I I remember thinking that uh, Max Allen Collins doing Wild Dog for Action Comics Weekly. Because he had written for daily newspaper strips, I felt mm-hmm. like at least there was something like piecing in his stuff. Yeah, and, and um, Marty Pasco does Blackhawk. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Pasco gets a write for Blackhawk, but not for his Secret Six. Yeah. He Secret Six there, and that, that didn't work. Yeah, it, that really was a shame because, of course – like I, I remember liking the art too. Is that Rick Burchett doing that on Secret? Uh, on Blackhawk? No, he did Blackhawk. Oh, uh, Dan Spiegel did Secret Six. Wow. Wait, really? Yeah, that's insane. Like, no offense, I'm totally sure you're right. But you know, wouldn't you just casually guess offhand that Dan Spiegel would be doing the Blackhawk? And yeah, no, no, no. Right, right, Rick Burchett, whose stuff I loved for Blackhawk, mm-hmm. even though I didn't really like Blackhawk. Right. Um, he did the Blackhawk strip, and he was great. He was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was reading this week um, his and Rucka's Batman Huntress series on oh, DC Universe. I would love to check that out. Yeah, because they're a really uh, good team. Yeah, but like he, his stuff in that book is great because you can tell he's been working on the like the Bruce Tim comics for a while. Mm-hmm. So there are parts where he's just drawing that Batman. It's just so fucking great. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, one of my one of my favorite like. Oh, here's a comic book that really knows how to move is the Batgirl Adventures one shot that I want to say was written by Paul Dini because it's Batgirl versus Harley Quinn. But it's like almost all chasing stuff. It's like just one super oversized issue that's mostly chase stuff. And it's done by Burchett. What's Paul Dini and Rick Burchett. Yeah. I just looked it up. It's really good. It's really good. I remember putting that down and being like, hell, that's, that artist is great at, at telling his story. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Chet's so good. He did uh, the last issues of Rucka's Detective Comics run, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is like legitimately horrifically underrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he really did. Rucka did some really great stuff there. Oh yeah, that's so funny. I thought of Rucka, uh, Rucka's Detective Comics as like 
I always assume that was considered a highlight of his because I remember that being just maybe it is, but I feel like within like the bat, you know, yeah. I don't think many right. people are like, well, you want to read a great Batman story, you should read that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. Which is, I think you're probably right. Like people haven't, you know, I sometimes do wonder. Like I don't know. Like I feel like that doesn't always. Um, I don't even know if it's available digitally. You know, that's actually a really good be. question. Yeah, like, I, I think I'm fairly so. sure it's on DC Universe. Hang yeah, on, I think it is because they put so many of it. They put so much of it on Comicsology in the two years leading up to DC Universe. So I think a lot of it got transferred over. Yeah, I'm, I'm literally. Oh yeah, it is because I can see right now they've got all the. the yeah, they've uh, got those really distinctive the, covers. The murderer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it is. But no, I, like I feel that that stuff was just like legitimately great. Mm-hmm. Um, but Burchett does a lot at the end of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and it and it just looks great. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, no. Is is good stuff, especially because the some of that stuff had such a strong, uh, romance comic component, which yeah, again is yeah. part of what I loved about it. You know, I, I've got to say, like, I've been on a uh, like the reason I was reading the Batman Hunter stuff was I have been on a Rucka tear mm. and Rucka DC stuff in particular because it's you know you say the the love story part of Detective because of that because of the Sasha Bordeaux stuff mm-hmm. which goes from Detective to the OMAC project of all things yeah. to his checkmate run yes you know which is it's really fun to follow mm-hmm. you know, and of course with DC Universe now you can. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. Do you reread it? Jeff, that was us talking about one comic thing uh, for 45 minutes. Uh, Woo! So good yes, look at us. Any other news you wish to cover? I feel like there has been other news, right? Mm-hmm. I feel Wow. What's the other news? Um, paper cuts bring asterisks to the... To oh, the, yeah, that's kind of a big deal, I, too. Which, which I meant yeah. to ask, like, did you read asterisks? Because I don't know how much asterisks made it to the U.S. Um... It didn't really much. Now, I uh, like I really have to put a caveat on there because it's possible that it did in a format that I missed. Usually when I saw Asterix, it was being used in foreign language classes as an incentive to polish up on your French, for example. But like unlike when I was a kid, there was a magazine. I don't remember which one um because it was in my dentist's office but mm-hmm. they were serializing tintin and so i remember going in as a kid and sitting there for what seemed like 20 minutes and just picking up one issue after another issue of something that was somewhere between highlights and readers digest and having and reading tintin and i never I never really had that experience with Asterix, which isn't to say that it wasn't there. But, you know, again, just sort of in the same way that if I had been going to a different dentist, I don't think I would have seen Tintin. So, <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I can't say for sure. But I think that like many Americans, I myself have almost no experience with Asterix. Wait, wait, because what's really funny is like, again, that's something I grew up with. Right. Because in the UK, it's massive. Right, right. Yeah, like it just kids have read it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's just it was literally they had. I felt like all the books when I was a kid in the library, and I would just get them out over and over and over again. Right, and it's it's responsible for a lot of my like dumb sense of humor. My love <laughs> of puns almost certainly comes from Asterix. Wow, 
which is like the, Asterix's name is a is a pun, obviously. But so are the names of all so many other characters in that in that mm-hmm. series mm-hmm. because the translator went insane. Wow. Um, the, there's so. Do you know this vague setup of Asterix or not? Uh, I do, but it's probably worth not risking me. Okay, so Asterix that. is uh, the the bravest warrior in a small village in Gaul. In right. 50 BC, mm-hmm. which is surrounded by uh, Gaul itself is is, is occupied by the Romans, mm-hmm. and his village is the one village in the entire country that's not occupied by the Romans, because Asterix fights them off basically. Like every right. single book is like Asterix is fighting off the Romans. Mm-hmm. He is helped in this by the fact that uh, he drinks a magic potion and is super strength mm. for like X amount of time afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, he's accompanied by. His friend, Obelix, which again, a name pun. Yes. Uh, Obelix fell into the cauldron of Magic Potion as a baby and as such permanently has magic strength. Mm. Uh, but the, the druids who make – the English name of the druids who makes the potion is Getafix. <laughs> right? It's yeah. a funny name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like, so, and that, that goes all the way through it. You know mm. what I mean? Like there, there's all of these. They all have pun names, and there's so many puns in the writing, right? Uh, which again, all come from the translation. All come from the person writing English language translations at the time, right? Um, and it's such a precise sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but even for people like, because when you're a kid, you don't get half of this, right? You don't get the puns and the names. Uh, or, I mean, obviously, until you do, but like, there's an entire period where you don't, and you're just into it because it's this little short dude who is a good guy, and you know, when he has to do it, he'll drink his magic potion. He's super strong, and then, like, you know, when he can't, uh, can't outwit the Romans anymore, he'll just fight them. Right. And that's great. Yeah, he's like the he's like the Gallic Popeye, you know, sort of. It's you know, no, very, very, very much, mm-hmm. like genuinely. Except, like, you know, he has a magic potion instead of spinach. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, otherwise, it, it's, it is very much that sort of thing. Um, but it's funny because, like, it is so, like, in, integral to, to my early comic reading history. Um, that it's funny that, like, the same week of, uh, you know, 2008 is going to try and break America again. Mm-hmm. Has also, oh, an Asterix is coming to America. It's like, okay. Like, this is a big deal, but also for people who literally didn't grow up with this shit, I can't really explain why it's a big deal. Right. You know? Like, it's a big deal because this is the shit that got me reading comics. But, like, how do you how do you then go to someone and be like, this is actually good as well, though? Well, I, I mean, I sort of feel like you... I feel like you do, and then there's either buy-in or there's not. Like... It's fascinating to me how much uh, and and this is one of those weirdo things is unless you sort of grew up uh, along the strip up north or the strip down south, there were a lot of us in America that uh, had a very homogenous, quote unquote, American experience, which even if you put in people of, you know, other colors and other races into that, there was still sort of this idea of it being quote unquote American. You know, it was a lie, but back when I was growing up, it was a lie that was easier to maintain. Um, Growing up in Europe, 
where, I mean, you guys were very aware of France, you know what I mean? And so you got French comics that were translated incredibly well, or, you know, Belgian comics in the, you know, in the case of Tintin and who knows, maybe Asterix, because I don't know. But, you know, Les Strumps, the Smurfs, you know, even stuff that ended up starting as American. And, you know, somebody like Donald Duck is way bigger in comics over in Europe than it is here in the U.S. And you guys, you know, in in the U.K. still had some of that. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, America had this strangely, for a long time, it was kind of like, oh, we don't need translations. We got the best country in the world. You know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. Like, and that kind of bullshit uh, provincialism written ridiculously large. Uh, it took a long, it took a long time for that to penetrate. Hopefully it will. Like part of me is I would like to think that a, there's a lot more people who want to read good comics, no matter where they come from. And it helps that, you know, each successive generation of comic book reader has been exposed to a wider palette. You know, people Mm -hmm. 20 years younger than me didn't have to try and find an entry into manga the way that I did. They just picked it up because they were kids and they read it in its second nature. And, and so I think it's easier for them. And let's face it, kids comics are screamingly successful these days. Mm -hmm. And that is perfect for Asterix. Sort of the way that Tintin, you know, like when you're a kid, you're a lot more open about that stuff. And I mean... Well, it, that's the thing. When you're a kid, you actually don't know. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like someone gives you a comic and you read it or you don't. Right. You're not like, was this made in the US? Right. You know, you're right. literally just like, I'm reading it or I'm not. Right. Exactly. And so there is an extent of, man, there's an entire generation who's like... American kids whose biggest hero is Harry Potter, who is as, you know, UK British-ish a hero as you can get, right? So I would like to think that 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 is growing and changing like all the time. So I think it's great. I, I think I'm hoping that for people it's like, this is really good. You should read it. Will work. And if you put it in the hands of kids, they'll just be like, if they if they like it, if their brain hasn't been destroyed by you know uh, the Nintendo Switch, they'll 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 get into it, you know. Well, what's what's also I mean, I mean, what's key is the kids have to get it right. Yeah, like it has to be not just in a format. I have to say, I love the formats as they're being described by paper cuts. Uh huh. Um, they're basically saying we're putting out four books a year. Uh, and the four books are all going to be compilations of three of the European albums. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be like a chunk of comics, which yeah. is great, right? Uh, and they're also going to then issue hardcover releases of the latest releases as they come out in Europe, hmm. uh, now, which just, I think is for the collector market. Out of curiosity, are they not going? Are the the three and ones not going to be? Euro, Euro album size, the way that the you know how Tintin... they have not said that they okay. have not said what size they're going to be yet. Okay, and I think that I think that does matter to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, like the page 
size matters for the not just for the art but really for the lettering yes exactly because the the tintin stuff as you know they went through a period where it was being recollected in sort of a smaller a not small quite format. digest size but a smaller format but they're like oh but it's got three volumes all in one and it's like but it's linear claire art and super fine lettering and a lot of it and it was kind of like this isn't a good idea but of course they were like americans just don't have that concept for the album sized comic still which i do wonder if that's going to change now that dc's doing so much with with what they're now calling prestige plus mm-hmm. like the, the black labels thing which is you know when they started they were literally just calling european album format yeah right you know uh, but it's that's a great format of of like that is a great format of stuff mm-hmm. like, i i think that's the page size is wonderful i think the page shape is wonderful i will talk about something about that in a second Ooh. um but the uh, it's it's yeah they haven't said what size they're they're going to be putting asterisks out in. I think it matters. I do think it matters because Tintin especially does not work when you shrink it. Yeah, like the, the pages still look like beautiful design elements. Right. But I think with with Hergé's line weight, mm-hmm. you actually pages of a certain size. I've heard of a lot of people complaining about the paper cuts as Smurfs reprints as well as being like too small and yeah. the art needs to be bigger. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, but what I was going to say is, so the the Asterix books need to get in kids' hands. So really, I hope they have good bookstore dis- distribution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope they have a good deal with Scholastic. Yeah, I hope so too. To Paper Cuts is such a weird company that way, isn't it? Like to me, because it's such a company that was started by a couple of ex-shooter era Marvel heads. You know, it's Jim Salakrup and someone else, I want to say, right? It, it was started by NBM, by this guy behind NBM. It's just that he hired those other guys. Oh, I see. Okay, right. Started by the guy of NBM. Interesting. And right, they hired those guys, which I think in a way was smart because they had they had a sense of American sense of comic sensibilities to be able to bring in stuff that was kind of either Euro or could kind of work both ways with the paper cuts mm-hmm. material. So, yeah, they're kind of an underpowered – they've been an underpowered scholastic for such a long time. It'll be kind of interesting to see if Asterix is able – if they're able to do justice to the the license and that the license comes through for them. Because it, be, it could be a huge game changer, uh, at least here in the U.S., for both. So we'll see. Yeah. And, and I, I really like. I really hope it works out because mm-hmm. the Asterix stuff is just like as a kid, it, they thrilled me. They really did. They were just so fun. Right. They were fun adventure comics. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see how successful that these these comics are. But again, the 2008 and then this both coming in the same week. It was like, ah, okay, that you know, what's next? Someone's going to reprint Doom Lord. No, no. Wait, what is that? <laughs> Doom, Lord. I... Doom Lord was. So uh, IPC, which was published in 2008 at the time, right. revived Eagle in the 1980s, the really early 1980s. Mm-hmm. And Eagle was the comic that Dan Dare was created in the 50s. And for a certain generation of, of British men, mm-hmm. Eagle is, was like an untouchable 
platonic ideal of what a comic could be. Right. Like I remember when Eagle relaunched in the eighties, my dad bought me the first issue because he grew up in the Eagle. Mm. And he was like, It's the Eagle. And it's got Dan Deeren and this is incredibly exciting. And uh the Eagle not to put to find a point on it was kind of shit. Right. Um but it had a lot of two thousand eight people doing it. Right. As well. I think that's why it rings a bell. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Wagner and Grant created Doom Lord for it. Mm-hmm. And Doom Lord is what if a shape changing alien came down to judge humanity and then decided, as the name suggests, that humanity needs to die. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got uh it's it's what if so imagine Rom Mm-hmm. If instead of having Rom's guns, he had a magic wishing ring, and he was a shape changer, but he was a bad guy. Wow, that's really doing my head in. Okay, right? uh huh. Wow. But then midway through the run, because there's multiple Doomlords, because they kill Doomlord off in the first series. The first run it ends with Doomlord dying. Right. Right. And then there's Doomlord two, and another <laughs> Doomlord comes out <laughs> to to do the same thing. Right, right. And the first two strips, and maybe the third strip as well, um, are photo stories as well, because that was that was Eagle's thing. They're all doing fumetti, oh, like no. with the exception of Dan and a couple of others. They're all photo strips. Oh no! Wow. Uh, so is literally like just this random mask, and like lots of other people going, <gasps> "I'm doing over exaggerated things." Um, which, is, by the way, is, I think the reason none of the shit's ever going to get reprinted sure. because they don't have the rights to the likenesses anymore. Oh my god. Anyway, Doomlord eventually they turn Eagle into all Eagle becomes a hand drawn strip and it essentially goes to the same format as 2080. And Wagner and Grant are still doing it, but by that point, Doomlord has become a good guy. Like we're now in our like our third or fourth Doomlord, but he's now a good guy. But he's fighting other Doomlords that keep coming down <laughs> to, 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 to kill humanity. But Jeff, it's terrible and I fucking love it. <laughs> like it's it, genuinely because eagle was written for a younger audience 2008 was at that point mm-hmm. right so they're writing for you know what like five to ten year olds maybe right um and they're like repetitive the stories are repetitive as shit um but Doomlord was just such weird fun because again it's just wagner and grant being wagner and grant right right so it's just weird fun Right, it shouldn't, work, but it really does. Um, but no, there's, Eagle had lots of fun strips like that. They had Manix, which is essentially Mac One done straight. Mm. Like, what if someone did Mac One but straight? And then the again, that starts off as a photo story, and then by the end, like it becomes a, a hand drawn story. And by the time it becomes a hand drawn story, it's not straight anymore. It's become like Mac One. If Mac One was like wonderfully camp. Wow. Holy shit! And so they've got they had all these things, but no, if like you know, if they said if all of a sudden someone's like, we've done 2080 coming to the American audience, we've done you know, uh, uh, Asterix coming to the American audience, now we're really excited to bring Doom Lord back, and I'd be like, yeah, of course, that's of course that's the next step for this week, right, right, yeah. Well, we'll see, Grandma. I'll I'll keep my fingers crossed. Slash. Um, anonymously release a press release in your honor saying that it is happening. Please do. Yeah, Please. I shall. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff. Yes. Uh, I said I was going to say something about Prestige Plus. Prestige Plus is the format for people who don't know. It's the new name that they're giving the larger format 
black label titles of DC. Wow. And I have I've seen a bunch of Prestige Plus books by this point. I, I've seen uh, what, I think it was called Batman Haunted, which was the first one. It was the Azarello Libra Mayo book. Well, isn't um, that Batman Damned? That, that's what it was called. Batman yeah. Damned. You're totally right. Um, Superman the- Year One, which is Frank Miller, John Romita Jr., uh, the Stephen Sedgwick Carlene book that just came out. Like I've seen mm. a chunk of them. And I like the page size. I like the the format. The arts never seemed to really earn that increased size, though. Right. Right. Um, I read the first issue of Daniel Warren Johnson's Wonder Woman Dead Earth this week because I interviewed him for THR. Mm -hmm. Jeff, that book earns the increased page size. Mm -hmm. That book looks fucking stunning. Mm -hmm. Like, legitimately pages where you just go i'm reading the story but i also just have to take a break right now right just have to stop to uh look at this page wow just just have to do it because this is amazing mm-hmm. I, I did you read his extremity mm, it was- no i didn't and you recommended it from image and i got the trade or the first couple of issues and then uh, on your recommendation, and then I just kind of went ah, because you did say very good things about it. And I just, it's it's on the the very deep digital to read pile. It's um, his art is, I, I mean, I always kind of say like you know it's Paul Pope but more manga if that makes sense. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, his his one woman work is just fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, the THR interviews up, which is the reason I'm feeling okay by saying like I've read the book because the book is now for a month, mm. um, and the THR story has like five pages of preview art in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might end up just sending you those files for the show notes, mm. uh, and also just so you can see them. Well, yeah, I mean it would help with the show notes, Graham. But yes, I would also love to see them um, <laughs> because yeah. Like hmm. it's it, and also those pages aren't the pages that I was like, "Fuck, right?" Are, you know, right? right. Um, but yeah, there's some just great art in that. Like it's just visually amazing, like really, really great. And also the book in general, I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, if nothing else, it's the first DC Black Label book that a does not feel like it's trying too hard, mm-hmm. uh, but also feels like it. Because when Black Label was initially announced, it wasn't mature readers. It was these books are going to be the standalone books, mm-hmm. right? Because remember, they were like, and now All Star Superman is a Black Label book, and now DC New Frontier is a Black Label book. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dark Knight Returns is a Black Label book because it was, Black Label was meant to be when they initially started the evergreen books that aren't connected to continuity that you can just give to a new reader, right? Right. Uh-huh. And then they were like, actually, we've changed our mind. Black Label's now Mature Reader. And you're like, oh, fuck. But this <laughs> first one where you're like, oh, this is an evergreen book you can give to anyone. Mm. Um, do you know what the book is? Like, have you heard much about it? No. It's literally, there's Wonder Woman wakes up from suspended animation. There's been a, an apocalyptic event. All the other superheroes are dead. Um, and she is responsible. She basically takes on responsibility for saving humanity. Mm. Um, there's there's definitely a commandy vibe in there. Mm-hmm. 
uh, as as I think you'd want for one of one of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like it's it's great, Jeff. I really really liked. It. I I was kind of like, and I liked Extremity a lot, but I was kind of surprised quite how much I liked it. Wow. Well, that's fabulous. Huh. And when, when's it out? I assume somewhat soon. December eighteenth. Okay. Um, I I actually didn't know why I got the interview so early, and then I saw him tweet afterwards, mm-hmm. and he was like, "It's on FOC next week," and I was like, "That's why." Yeah, exactly. That's why I got the interview that early because they want people to raise their orders. Right. Um, but yeah, people, if you liked Extremity and you have any interest in Wonder Woman, pick it up. If you have no idea what Extremity is, but the idea of Commandy slash Wonder Woman appeals, pick it up. If you just want to see really fucking good artwork, pick it up. Hmm. Okay. I, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the, the images so you can you can yeah yeah you can L- I can ogle them slash upload them to the show notes. So that's fabulous. Hmm. Yeah, that's all. That's all I had to say about Prestige Plus. This is the first book that feels like it's earned that extra page size. Hmm. Well, that's that's really good to know. Um, I I think I should qualify that by saying. For a lot of people other than me, you know, just because um, I haven't looked at a ton because I'm looking at stuff digitally. I don't necessarily know if I like I haven't picked up any of DC's recent black label material. I think Harleen might have been the first one that I was sort of tempted by, but I was aware when I was at comics experience for the first time in several months seeing, I think the Batman damned collection, or maybe even one of the issues and being like, Oh, this is, Oh, right. Right. This is a different size format. Interesting. Cause it doesn't, of course, when it's digital, it's just digital, I guess. You know what I mean? The screen you're kind of size like, you know, stays the same. Yeah. You're kind of like, uh, maybe it's a bit wider. Yeah, right. And that's about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, or it's uh it's, it's a, I'm sure it's it's just one of the many deleterious effects that uh, that digital has on the the print comic industry. So um, that's it. Yeah. Why do you hate comics, Jeff? I know. I know. Why? Why? You know why? Because of Mark Bagley's Wikipedia page. (laughs) I saw you tweet about Mark Bagley's Wikipedia page. That was amazing. Let me tell you, as I confessed at the opening of this program, I got enjoyably ludicrously high. And I know the the proof in, in the pudding was when I found myself on Mark Bagley's Wikipedia page being like, this is monstrously entertaining. Like, I don't know if you knew this, but Bagley, while working a construction job, suffered a severe injury to his leg while using a handsaw that required 132 stitches. 130. What the <laughs> fuck did this guy do? And it's he chopped it, off his leg. It, right? It'd be but one we... thing if it was a skill saw or a power saw. Admittedly, maybe the Wikipedia editor was mistyping it, it, something. It, yeah, it's literally thirteen. Or he, right, thirteen point two stitches, or alternately, it was a power saw. But I'm like, 
I can't imagine how you can give yourself 132 stitches with a hand saw. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, if nothing else, like Mark Bagley's incredibly lucky that Mark Bagley went into the world of comics because that level of like danger, self danger, suicidal klutziness. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Mark Bagley <laughs> could have been the world's next Jerry Lewis, but in reality, which would have meant a horrifyingly short lifespan. I didn't know that Mark Bagley was born in Frankfurt, West Germany. I didn't know. I, I didn't either. Both of these facts were brand new to me. But, Jeff, I'll be honest. My interest in Mark Bagley is minimal. So he is 62 what? years old. I am not surprised by that in the slightest. I know you're not. I know you're not. And so this is the thing. Mark Bagley, for me, is a thing no offense to Mark Bagley by objectifying him in such a in such a way, but Mark Bagley. Wait, 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 wait! Before we finish the sentence, oh. Mark Bagley is a thing. No offense to him for objectifying him in that way. You mean objectifying him by calling him a thing? I'm saying I haven't gotten to the end of the sentence, Graham. But yes, I refer to him as a thing, a cog, a component in the American comics industry that. I didn't really give the full bloom of personification to. He was a name. He was a drawing style. His drawing style for me was generally uninteresting shit. enough that yes. I no. See, I know you think that he should, but like for example, I no, read he's solid and boring. That's the thing about Mark. Biden. I read sixty-seven to seventy-five issues of Ultimate Spider-Man. And they were fine. They were Mark okay. Mark is the Brett Booth of Marvel. So, so I'm so glad I brought this subject up because let me tell you, you've not let me complete a single sentence <laughs> because you are so excited. You didn't realize today was shit on Mark Bagley Day. And Jeff, you are like, oh, I know, but you don't do it out loud. And this is so exciting for you. I don't know. I'm not around your household. Maybe it's a thing. It doesn't happen that often on the podcast. The occasional sneer, but you are all in with all your chips. And all of those chips are Mark Bagley is shit. So Mark Bagley, I generally, like you said, He's fine. He's dull. I find him generally dull to the point where, like I said, I didn't give him the full bloom. And reading it, it was like, fuck, he's older than me. Makes sense. Frankfurt, West Germany, maybe makes sense. You know, 132 stitches with a handsaw. So that was the point where I was high. You're like, nothing makes sense. I, I was so high. I was like, Mark Bagley's Wikipedia entry is the most fascinating thing I have ever read. <laughs> and I couldn't wait to bring it up. And then it gets to the Marvel Comics Marvel tryout book. Which, which is what you tweeted. Yes. So for the people who don't follow my Twitter page, God bless Graham for doing so. And I apologize. I'll speed it up not to bore him too much. Mark Bagley uh, entered the Marvel uh, tryout book competition, which back in 83, Marvel had the Marvel tryout book where you basically had sort of a deconstructed comic book thing where you were writing parts, you were drawing parts, depending on which part you were entering or doing. It was a, it was 
sort of a genius in a way next step to how to draw comics the marvel comics way which sold very very well for many years i think shooter correctly surmised that doing a a a tryout book where people would buy it specifically to um you know try and get it like win a contest and get into the comic book industry you know like I'm, I'm kind of like it is amazing when you think that Jim Shooter was writing comic books at age thirteen, mm-hmm. that he somehow was able to keep a hold of that youthful child in his head to know that that was a market, and then exploit it like the mean son of a bitch adult that he was. So. Mark Bagley ends up entering the contest. I didn't realize that he was friends with Cliff Biggers, which is, a, you know, in its own way, sort of a pretty sizable name. So he gave him the book, Biggers, gave Bagley the book, persuaded him to enter the contest. Bagley won the first place for penciling. He literally beat out thousands of other people. And what I love about this Wikipedia page entry is the fact that he didn't hear from Marvel for several months. And so he actually approached Shooter at a comic convention. And I love this because it is so fucking Marvel. Because for people like me who did have some interest in perhaps breaking into comics, admittedly the Marvel tryout book was skewed towards writers, I mean artists rather than writers, but I think there was still some sort of component. But I remember thinking, it's kind of expensive. It could well be a scam. Bagley was like, it's pretty expensive. Could be a scam. A friend gave him a copy of the book. He entered, won the contest, and then Marvel fucking blew off the winner. Because yes, Marvel's like, it is a scam. It is a scam. <laughs> it's a fucking scam. God bless fucking Mark Bagley for walking up to a convention and fucking shaming Jim Shooter. And what I think is great is, is that, again, they go... Bagley was assigned to a series of low-profile penciling jobs. Like, they were like, sure, what the fuck? You can draw visionaries, which I've never heard of, and is apparently based on an 80s toy line. Yeah, whereas for me, visionaries, Jeff. (laughs) I, I know. Tell me more. Was it a British comics hit? packaged Again, as it was reprinted in the transformers comic. yeah okay that's what i was um, I of course it was because it was a toy right visionaries were action figures that were just like general like you know imagine generic dungeon dragons action figures but the thing was the visionaries part of it was that they had hologram stickers in their chests weird i should have seen that i should have known that that was out there and yet i really didn't anyway that the new universe line Backup stories in Captain America, and I just love, and the first series of Marvel Universe cards, like, all of that is all shit. In fact, I love that under a separate section of the Wikipedia page, it says that one of the characters that Mark Bagley hates to draw, like his least favorite Marvel character to draw is Captain America, and that makes me laugh really hard, because I'm sure he was drawing fucking Captain America, and... And just feeling miserable about it to the point of, you know what I mean? It's kind of that like, why don't I do another issue of visionaries? He was saying, yes, exactly. Anyway, I really have to give it up for Bagley, who you and I do not actually, as you know, think much of. He ends up 
basically doing the first 25 issues of New Warriors with Fabian Nicizia. And that apparently is such a big hit and or they were desperate for someone that they put him right onto on, Amazing, on Amazing Spider-Man, Spider right? Yeah. Um, but you don't remember New Warriors was like a hit. New Warriors was a thing. It no, was a breakup book. But see, and that's what I'm kind of saying is, is what you and I well, you and I don't think very highly of Mark Bagley and and yet and so it's kind of that he's fine, he's a cog, he gets the work done or he has charms that you and I don't see and or he's lucky because he literally beats thousands of people for the Marvel tryout book. Mm -hmm. He literally create, you know, helps launch the new warriors into something that's very successful helps uh, introduce the Carnage character, which is highly successful, and then leaves that and goes on and does the Thunderbolt, the first issue of the Thunderbolts, mm -hmm. which was a big fucking thing, mm -hmm. and then moves on to Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, like, which he stays on for like 100 odd issues. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's amazing. Mark Bagley's career is nuts, and then he fucks it all up by going to DC. Well, okay. I mean, separate and apart from that. But I mean, no, no, but no, but you're right. Like he basically had this like ridiculous streak right. where he's like massively successful. And it seems like everything he touches is a success. Right. And, and for a long period of time in that weird way of like, he has charms that you and I and, or oh, is lucky enough that you and I are just kind of sort of amazing. I, think, to, I right? think it's both. Yeah. I think it's both. I think that he, cause he, here's the thing. He is complete to me really dull completely generic mm -hmm. solves enough mm -hmm. like when i call him marvel's bread booth i'm not being um as mean as it sounds right because i think his strength is the same as brett booth's strengths mm -hmm. which is he gets the job done like they're 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 stylistic qualities neither of them particularly appeal to me but the, they have the basics down mm -hmm. they do the job mm -hmm. but bagley's where Bagley is successful and Booth isn't is that Bagley's choice of projects right. for more than a decade yeah. is fucking on fire. Right. Well, and and yeah, in that sense, he's he is on fire with his selections. And of course, because each one is bigger than the rest, not everyone, even in the 90s when things were insane, and especially in the period where he did, not just anyone made it onto Amazing Spider-Man. Like, arguably, oh, exactly. yes, pre-Todd McFarlane, but certainly not post, in a way. So it's... So all of which is to say, between shaming Jim Shooter, between living through 142 stitches to 132 stitches... Uh, with a fucking handsaw. I love the idea that like every time you tell the story, it's going to get more stitches. Yeah, it's going to be <laughs> like two hundred sixty-four stitches, one thousand three hundred and twenty stitches in one leg. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's just it is. And then of course, and it's interesting when you look at DC Comics, like his first assignment was the Trinity Weekly series, where it's him and Kurt Busiek again. Yeah, and on then he paper. goes on to Justice League of America, which again makes sense yeah. on paper. Yeah, but and I say this is someone who basically has bought every Justice League comic since the Detroit era, mm. like was terrible. <laughs> right, 
Right. So, I mean, it's just a number of things where it doesn't where, – where it does. It's kind Bi- of Bikely, Bikely still has – like some level of like appeal that I just don't get because everyone was like his Spider-Man life story with with Zarsky like it's it's career best work and I was like is it though because it's terrible right right and I didn't pick it up for kind of precisely the level of the number of people of which I think you were <coughs> the loudest proponent since you are basically you know the comics reality equivalent of the leader of the anti-Superman league, but for Mark Bagley, (laughs) um, there were other people that were similarly underwhelmed with the insides of Spider-Man real life, as opposed to the covers, you know? So, yeah, but, but on the other hand, like you said, his, it could well be that his introducing carnage and doing venom lethal protector may have just, like that might be somebody's shit in such a way. Like he may be the Jim Apero, you know, for a certain yeah, generation, right? right? And yeah. I know that that seems heretical to us, no, but no, but it's true. Like he, like Jim Apero, he might be like someone's Salbusema, you know? Right, right. Another one who a lot of people wouldn't see the appeal of, but you know, for you and I, it's like he was always there. He was drawing our favorite characters. They don't mm-hmm. look quite right if they're not drawn without him. And he was everywhere when a kid on all of my favorite titles. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. No, it, it, it's very, it's very possible that's what it is. But it's, it's, yeah, his, his, it sounds like for all that I've been mean about Mark Bagley, and that's a lot. Yes. Stones especially mean to be like, his success astounds me. Right. But his success astounds me. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. because he was legitimately massively successful, mm-hmm. you know, and to, honestly, to this day, still has that cachet. Sure, you know, even if you could argue, you know, he's not really done a big book for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I still feel that you, you know, Mark Bagley being on a title is a thing. Well, it, it's so funny. I'm like, it was up to a point. You know what I mean? I, yeah, honestly, I, I, I'm not joking. I think him going to DC just, like, derails his career. You know, which is interesting because if you look, he, of course, comes back to Marvel. To do lots of Bendis stuff again. Well, he? see, that's it. He does, he, does, he does Avengers Assemble, which is the Avengers title with Bendis that is kind of the post-Avengers movie version of, of the title. And doesn't really work and then he jumps over to what everyone else thought would be a surefire hit is him and fraction onto fantastic four and which is a disaster is a disaster and then and then he follows it up with him and mark wade on the hulk which is around the time that wade's on fire from daredevil and that also sucks so mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's it's weird. Like it, it it's yeah. honestly like you know, he had his hot streak, and then he went to DC, and everything started going wrong for him. Yeah, it's it's kind of it it's like reading about those baseball guys who just that where the weird superstition, you know, like he took off his lucky pair of socks, and they accidentally got washed, and then he was never able to hit a home run again. It's really strange, really very very strange. So, uh, but again, like people loved his, his people loved Spider Man life story. Well, yeah, 
And, you know? and, right. And so that's it. Who knows? Maybe so may, that's maybe, the beginning of yet another yeah, career renaissance maybe, for him. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's going he's gonna to come back on top, even though, again, I don't get it. But then I didn't, like, I didn't even think the writing in that book was particularly good. And I say that as someone who likes Zdarsky a lot. Yeah, you Spider-Man do like Zdarsky a lot. Yeah. Yeah, Spider-Man Life Story is just – does not work for me. Like it, it feels like it exists – for everyone who's like, you know, oh man, you know, he's taking all this stuff and really applying real world logic to it. It feels like the opposite to me. It feels like it's a book that exists for him to be like, apply real world logic to it. Why would I do that when I can just say they get older? Right. Well, uh, but let me ask you this, because on the one hand, I agree with you uh, that that your criticisms, when you mentioned them, sounded convincing to me. But I do have to say, like, Chip Zdarsky, Mark Bagley on a Spider-Man comic, you are arguably only a fan of one of those three elements. Like, you know, you're okay with Spider-Man, but you're not really a Spider-Man fan. Is it possible that you just didn't love Spider-Man enough to really... For it to, like, nail you? You know what I mean? One of my problems with the book is not actually Spider-Man. Mm. Um, it's that... So, the, you know the gimmick, right? Yes. The gimmick is each issue takes place in a different uh, decade. Right. Uh, but the characters are theoretically advancing in real time through that time. Right, right. Um, he Zdarsky doesn't actually know how to treat that properly or mm-hmm. doesn't know how to make that gimmick work right better putting it and the more interesting things happens to the side characters mm-hmm. but he doesn't follow any of that shit up mm. so like the first fall the first issue ends with captain america goes to vietnam and then fights against the u.s mm-hmm. right and then suddenly you're in the 70s and that's not followed up on Wow. Like, and you know, next time you see Cap, it's like, you know, I think it might even be like Civil War or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and Cap's fighting with Iron Man. And you're like, wait, but what happened to. Right. But what? Right. Like, you know, that's, you know, but also the Cap story was much more interesting than Spider Man's story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to read Spider Man. Going, oh man! Now I'm hanging out with Reed Richards because I've been being a Spider Man for twenty years, and maybe I just want to be a scientist. Getting kind of old, oh man! <laughs> You're like, wait, but what about fucking Captain America going native? Like that's interesting. Sure. Tell me more about that. Yeah, Don't right. just be like you know a newsreader saying something on television. Like tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but also. The characters grow older in real time, except they don't. Mm. They grow older in comic book time. Mm. Right? So Spider-Man, by the time he gets to the 2010s, it's 50 years after he got his powers. Right. So, right. right. Yeah. And he's still like, just jumping around being like, oh, I'm a bit achy now. And you're like, <laughs> fuck you are. You're fucking 70 years old. Right, right. Or 65, you know? depending. No, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. And, right. like, here's Iron Man, and Iron Man is also a bit creaky. And, again, no. Like, you're fucking Tony Stark. You were a businessman right. in, like, the start of the 60s. So you are 80 years old or something. Yeah. Right. You know? But, right. no, they're just like, oh, I've got some white hair. Oh, one of these <laughs> things you're going to have to retire. And it's like, gee, like, have you never seen how people age? Yeah. What the fuck is this? Yeah. That, I got to um, admit, when you put it that way – it sounds pretty terrible. 
you know what? You're just like I, – I, it's a shame because there are interesting ideas in there, but he doesn't follow them through. Or if he t- attempts to follow them through, like he does it really badly. Right. So it is – like it was just really disappointing to me. And it's so like honestly, it's got nothing to do with not liking Spider-Man enough. Okay. That's good. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Asked and answered. Yep. You just didn't follow the gimmick. Right. Like, you, you, you're like, well, the gimmick's great. Okay. I'm so, done. So oh. why the hell is it that everyone still ranted about it by the time they got to the end? Or or is it something where everyone was like, holy shit, this is great as of On issue this, two, and then they just no, stopped talking? Uh, I think a lot of it is... Uh, see, people are just going to jump on me for saying this. Oh, I know where you're going with this. I feel sorry. I didn't think I was putting you in this position, but I realized Wait, what do you think I'm going to say? I think that you're – well, if, this is – you're a genius because now if I'm right, it will no, put me I, in this no, position. Yeah. I just, was assumed that you were going to say that Zdarsky is so well-loved. Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't going to say that at all. Oh, okay. Well, I, I was going to say that I think a lot of people want to believe that it's better than it is because they want a book to follow through in the hype. Mm, you mean that book or just any book? I think they want that book too, but like any book. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like I think there, there's not been a standalone DC uh, – sorry, a standalone Marvel book mm-hmm. that is like we're going to take these characters seriously and apply real world rules to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's actually put politics in this for real. You know, right. especially at a time when, you know, the history of the Marvel Universe is going, what if we create a fake Vietnam War? Right, exactly. You know, yeah. So actually if someone go, no, Captain America goes to Vietnam and he, he goes native and he turns – like he turns on America. Right. Like I think people want that book to exist, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And they're so excited that this book gets close. Right. They're like they're closing the loop themselves. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I, okay. That makes sense. I can see. Yeah, I don't, I don't like. I, I I don't think that it's people are like hey, everyone loves Chip Zdarsky. It's not like you know. Um, I'm trying to think about another example of something where that happened. You know, where people like the writer enough that they're like, "This is great." Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that's what's going on. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you know, I put it this way: I would be really curious if you read it. Yeah, I think I told you at one point I was going to buy the six issues during some sort of Marvel sale where they were marked down to something like a buck ninety nine a piece or something, or mm-hmm. maybe a buck seventy nine. I'm like, oh, that's great. And then I don't remember. I the I looked at the trade collection and the pre order price was under ten dollars, and I was like, well, fuck for under ten dollars for the trade and I don't have to buy all the individual issues. I'll just wait the extra month and buy it when it comes out. And then, and then you read it and talked about it. And I was like, eh, you know, I'll wait for Marvel unlimited hoopla, or maybe I'll just never read it. It doesn't. Well, that's that's what I mean. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. Like you can read it for quote unquote free now, you know, because it is, I mean, I want to say I read on hoopla. Mm. Hmm. I'm fairly sure. Did I read it Marvel Unlimited? I always got it. Like, I read it for free. It's the short version. Well, you read it for free, but yeah, I've, I don't know how you, I don't know how you did that in that sense. I didn't think that it was on Hoopla, but I have to admit, for whatever reason, um, 
Marvel on Hoopla is a little bit like DC on... Oh, Marvel's Hoopla is terrible because titles yeah. literally appear and disappear yeah. with no reason whatsoever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the stuff that kind of tends to stick around can be really, really old. Like, you know, like they're like, oh, hey, you liked Into the Spider-Verse? Here's, you know, and which makes sense. Here's, you know, Bendis's first volume on it with... Was that who is the artist on that? Is that I was going to say Sarah Pacelli, but that's not right. It, it, it is. It is. Oh, okay. Good. Good. Phew. Um, so you know, it's and like Marquez. If you were talking about the the um, the ultimate version, right? Yeah. So I mean, right. So I don't. I couldn't remember which is which. But yeah, there was kind of a thing of like, oh yeah, if you want to read Miles Morales, yes, it's right there. But but at the same time, I'm like, man, some of the stuff is more abundant, whereas. You know, DC's like, hey, that book, that that trade collection that came out yesterday, here it is. You know, it's like pretty, pretty. But DC, DC stuff started disappearing off Oplaz as well recently. Oh, has it? Interesting. <clears throat> I went, someone listened to this podcast and was like, uh, okay, we're, we're now initiating Operation Fuck This. Um, let's get this <laughs> shit off the free channels and not stop, you know, maybe cutting against our own self-interests. Yeah, so. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm looking up Hoopla right now, and not because of, of Life Story, which is not on there, um, which makes me go, how did I read it? How did you read it, Graham? Yeah, that's I a good question. I, yeah. Did I fucking buy it? There's no way I bought that comic. Um, well, okay, the what I was looking up is Wildstorm Volume 4 is there, because Wildstorm Volume 4 is one of those things I was like, that should be on Hoopla, and it wasn't, but it is now. So maybe they're delaying stuff? Huh. Shows up? I don't know. It's there now. Right. Uh, Jeff, why don't you talk about comics you've read for once? For once, I honestly feel like I've dominated this podcast. I know, I've it's read. so good. It's great, Graham. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't necessarily know what to say, because on the one hand, I read... Mostly my usual suspects in terms of new comics, which is to say Immortal Hulk 26, which was terrific, of course. And yes, it was amazing. Yeah, that was uh, kind of shocking. In the, Yes, the, yeah, I did not think it was going to go there. I did not think... I did not think the series was going to go there. I did not think that issue was going to go where it went. Yeah. Um, it was great. It was great. Yeah. And Amadeus' last line is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, wait, I say that, and I'm like, what the was one it? About, it was so good. The one about, um, like, so Bruce does his whole thing. Right. And Amadeus is like, you're just another middle-class white guy talking about revolution. Right. A middle-class, angry white guy talking about revolution. And we know how yeah. that tends to go. How badly yes. that tends to go. Yeah, it's really a, a great, great line. Mm-hmm. A great line. Yeah. For like, because, again, Bruce is the the protagonist of the comic and 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 there's a lot of what bruce says that makes sense or or is it you know you agree with right oh very much so yeah absolutely for Mm -hmm. avenues to kind of ground it with basically like yeah we've seen this before and it always goes poorly was was great like we're really self-aware i really like that line i i liked how much it did feel and true untrue but it really kind of um felt like ewing was sort of picking up the gauntlet thrown down by hickman you know because it did feel like that oh okay like you guys really want to have comics that are happening now i can give you a version of the hulk that is relevant 
to now. And be, I think in a way, if that had been issue one, it would have been like, eh. but after what we've seen for the last 25 issues, it's great. You know, it really has, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ways in which it hooks up with the real world in a way that is clever and feels organic. And admittedly, one of the things that is great about Al Ewing as a writer is, is that so much of what he does simultaneously manages to feel clever and organic at the same time. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like he thinks things through well enough to where it feels smart for lack of a better term. So yeah, incredible Hulk 26. Great. Savage Avengers 7, satisfying, except it was sort of my second digital comic of the week that got spoiled by digital comic shit fuckery, essentially. So, oh, they did tell all. Every issue of Savage Avengers, uh, and you don't really tumble to it until like say maybe issue two or three but even including the savage avengers annual which jerry dugan also wrote ends with a map of the world present day world showing conan's progress through it and which is really clever because it is a it's a riff on the maps that always opened up the Conan comics, you know, and showing his realm, his travels through this imaginary realm. It's really, it's a very smart little take because it starts, I don't know, I feel like it, they end up like down in the Savage Land. So it moves through the Savage, you know, south, through the South Pole into the tip of uh, South America, moves through there. So I, apologize for the spoilers for the people who are not Graham, who may want to read Savage Avengers and haven't read it yet. But, oh no, I can do this without it. There is the twist of issue seven is Conan ends up in a very different place than you would expect him to be based on where he is at the end of the issue. And it is a super smart, satisfying twist that relies on using a, a Marvel universe uh, staple, so to speak. The problem is the map at the end of the issue that shows where Conan ends up at, they print halfway through the issue before he ends up there. And so Wait, and it affects... Why? Because it was some sort of digital screw-up. And it, it oh, really did. Fuck. It it fucks the issue. I was like, you guys fucked up the issue on this technical glitch that didn't need to happen. And then uh, remember uh, Ryoko, the first volume of which I raved about that I got through Titans by mm -hmm. uh, Eldo mm -hmm. Yoshimizu? Mm -hmm. Issue two came out, volume two came out this week. But for whatever reason... Titan, Comixology, whomever, uh, volume one was uh, done in manga style, which is to say that you read from back to front or, you know, right to left in terms of the way you flip the pages of the book. Sure. And yeah. then every page reads from right to left. Mm -hmm. They, in issue two, 
made the book read from left to right like a traditional comic for some reason, but the panels aren't, the pages aren't flipped. So every page reads from right to left. So you have to what? turn the page and then start at what feels like the opposite corner of where your eye is going to go and then read it. So it fucks up the flow literally on a page by page basis. And yeah, that so, sounds disastrous. Yeah, so they fucked that. That's actually, interestingly enough, the same way that they fucked up the absolutely fantastic um, Japanese uh, bat manga collections in digital. All the individual issues they published um, in right to left uh, format for the pages and for your reading order. And then I don't remember if it started with volume two, two out of the three volumes of the collection collections, which are really inexpensive, have the same thing where it reads the, the page order goes from left to right, but the reading order on the page goes from right to left, which is just stupid fucking shit. And, and it still breaks my heart because the bat manga is they've never corrected it. So, so Ryoko volume two, which I didn't finish reading because literally after 50 pages, I was too fucking frustrated. Um, Savage Avengers seven, which got spoiled were, was also heartbreaking. Uh, Hulk, uh, 26. Great. Um, and then, you know, the, I don't remember, I think I was eight volumes in on initial D uh, and I am yeah, now which we talked about last time. Yeah, exactly. And so I am now uh, almost seventeen volumes in. So I've oh wow read another eight volumes since the last time we talked. And I really have to give you know the same way that I really talked about how incredibly smartly executed uh, Shuichu Shigeno's uh, story is, like. I at a certain point, like initial, like volume fourteen, volume fifteen, I'm like, man, I'm loving this series so much, and I'm like, I don't really know why it's called initial D, and they actually get to that in volume seventeen. I'm like, this is somebody who had this planned for such a long time. Like, it's really weird that it's this payoff of like, oh. Uh, now, admittedly, maybe it was something mentioned in passing in like volume two and I forgot and they never came back to it until volume 17. But I think it's it's like he really he has stuff that he sets up in volume one that maybe possibly permanently pays off in volume 16 and just broke my heart. And it was great because he he took his time getting there, but he knew where it was coming and the thing that really, again, just knocks my ass off about this guy is uh, so hmm, how do I put it? Uh, 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 apologies for those people who are reading Initial D like me and it's new to you. Everyone else. I mean, you know, if you want to check it out, feel free to skip over what I'm about to say. And for the rest of you, like, you know, this book started publication in 1997 that's a long time ago. I don't feel that bad about what I'm necessarily going to spoil. But so as I talked a little bit last time, Graham, um, one of the things that was great is how Shigeno flips the idea of 
how he has his manga hero be. And instead of him being the, I am super driven and must be the best because I've sworn to be the best, the blah, blah, blah. Um, he sort of has been training all of his life to be great and not really even known it and sort of finds himself being like, well, I don't even know if I want to do this, but there's a couple of reasons why early on and that, you know, sort of like, oh, I've got to do this, got to complete this if I want that. But wait, now that I've completed this, maybe I want this. Anyway, there's a point, and this is, I just think, genius, where the protagonist's dad, uh, who was himself a racer, uh, a mountain racer as a teenager, and more or less, you know, trained his son to be a great racer without his son even really recognizing it. Now that his son is racing, I thought this was so genius. It's like around volume nine or volume 10, the dad is talking to his best friend and saying like, okay, my son's ready to take it to the next step, but there's one lesson that he has to learn before essentially he's like the car needs to be upgraded it needs to be this and this and that and that and i have all the parts and they're like we'll put it in the car it's like i can't not until he learns this valuable lesson and they're like what what is it and he's like well, I, you know blah 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 and he sort of talks elliptically and eventually he's like he has to lose and what's great is his dad announces that at the way as Meanwhile, the the protagonist is halfway through this crazy race with this dude that it seems like it's going to be impossible for him to win. But of course, the miracle of Initial D is he's already won five impossible races, right? Mm -hmm. So you're like, yeah. there's no tension. But you're like, oh, the dad has said that he has to lose. Everyone's saying that he's going to lose this one. This is going to be the way that he loses and then quote unquote wins, right? And then what's great is then he wins that race. And you're like, shit, he won. But because we know what the stakes are, like the tension is higher. Like now you're, you, you have to bet against him. You have to root for him to lose in order for him to, to get better. And so he flips that. Again, so genius. Anyway, four volumes later, he does lose and he destroys the car essentially in the course of it. And he's like, I failed. I'm heartbroken. I know what I've lost. I'm so sorry, dad. And dad's like, no, this is good. We'll fix the car and you'll be right back up to it. And of course, for Tack, the protagonist, he's like, wait. What? Because, of course, he learned the lesson, which is he really respects it now. So what's great is the burgeoning love story that was really strong in the first two volumes and has been on this slow cooker. And there's a there's a dramatic hook in there that has been bubbling in the background, comes to the foreground for the two volumes while the car is in the shop and being fixed and he can't race now the romantic stakes are up and that's the one that just sort of uh, just stepped all over my heart. Actually, what happened was before that, the comedic uh, sidekick interest gets a love story. And so when 
again, just when you're expecting it to become the love story for the main character, the secondary character gets a heartbreaking love story that comes out of nowhere. And I was just like, oh, God, I can't handle this. And then when that's done, it goes into the main character's love story. And you're like, I can't see straight. And then suddenly they're back to racing again. So initial D, volume 17. I did not think I would make it this far. I'm still... I'm still. In how, how many volumes are available? On because I, I know I know Comicsology is doing the whole yeah. thing. I think they have the whole thing uploaded because I'll be honest. Some of the some of the stuff is still cheap, uncorrected versions. I think of the Tokyo Pop translations. Uh, it all it is forty eight volumes in all, and I believe all forty eight volumes are available via Comixology Unlimited and I assume... Yeah, volume, via... volume 48 is available and just looks right now. Yeah, so I'm a third of the way there? That's, That's insane. insane. That's, That's insane. insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's, but it's also been great. But at the same time, it's like the last two weeks, if you think of every volume as being about 200 pages, I mean... Uh, that's like 3,000 pages of comics that I've read <laughs> in two weeks just from this dude. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> Serious question mark. So so I'm really loving it. And the thing that's really funny is that kind of is the level. Like American comics, I have to say, are pretty good. I really did. Like if they hadn't fucked the, the, the page thing on Savage Avengers, it was good. Immortal Hulk, amazing City of Bane, like, I feel like it, that's that Twitter meme, you know? It's like, Ryoko Volume 2 is amazing, you know? Uh, the City of Bane issue, I actually mostly like, too. I was like, yeah, this is a good comic. Yeah, I'm down with it. But but part of me is just like, wow, being able to read that much manga and just kind of keep plowing through is well, kind that, of enjoyable, you know? Yeah, and that's what's been my thing with the 2080 app as well. Right. Like, you get a point where you're like, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm really enjoying reading, you know, whatever, Superman. Right. But, you know, I've got 30 years of Strong Team Dog I can read up. Right. Or, yeah. do you know what I mean? And you do, it becomes, because so much of it is there, it becomes really immersive. Right. You know, yeah. that it really is just like, uh, like I'll see you I'll see you guys later. I'm going to read blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Right. It, it does feel like that sort of uh, embarrassment of riches in in a weird although i will say uh um i was going to say unlike that kind of feeling that you were talking about with the marvel comics not being edited like reading them full and in cover and it kind of being almost too much of a good thing i'm like yeah that's a great thing about strenium dog or but i know reading drock that sometimes the 2000 ad stuff if you're reading I mean, admittedly, we're reading 300, 400 pages. Yeah, we're reading yeah, at, at a time, and that can just be overwhelming. Like, it can be exhausting. Yeah, it really is. It just, at a certain point, you're like, woof, no no more for me. You kind of feel like that, you know, uh, the dude in Monty Python's Meaning of Life or whatever. Or... The, the one who wants to waffle thin mint? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Exactly. So so that's what I've been up to, Graham. I, but I am sort of – I'm excited to read that stuff and it also kind of has me – like I was looking through the Shonen Jump app and I'm like, man, what I would give to kind of have like 
a couple of weeks off where I'm not working and I don't have larger. Say, you're about to have a couple of weeks off. It's just that you have a lot to do in those couple. Exactly, of weeks. exactly. I got a lot, lot of errands to run. But part of me is like, oh, but what if I could just sit there and read the Shonen Jump app? You know what I mean? And get the <laughs> yeah. And just, like, actually do the deep dive. Like, the deep dive is what we tell ourselves we're going to do in comics, you know? Right. It's like, what if I could actually do that? What if I could legitimately just go, you know what I'm going to do for the next couple weeks? I'm going to read. That's all I'm going to do. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And maybe it will be, you know, maybe I'll bail and I won't make it through all 82 volumes of One Piece or whatever. But but if I do... you will. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe I will. Part. Yeah. 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 Uh, I have. I have two things I want to say. One, while looking up comicsologists, there, I was like, let me check. I actually did fucking pay money for Spider Man Life Story. I bought them. Wow. Why? I don't know. I must have bought them all in a wonder. You know, I, I was about to no say. Way, you, there's no way I would have kept buying it after like issue three. Otherwise, you bought like, it during oh, that same sale that I almost bought them during. I bet the that's it. Was, that's amazing, well, I, Graham. I, it really no, but it really. What's funny is, I feel like I can say Meg Downey from Gamespot. I bet it's you who made me buy them because <laughs> she was raving about it. Right, and I'm kind of mad at you, Meg. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is, um, Legion of Superheroes came out this week. Yes, I wanted to ask you about that because that would be a thing about which you would have thoughts and opinions and feels. I have, um, I have all of them, mm-hmm. which I don't mean in the sense of like, oh, it gives me all the feels. I mean in the sense of I read it digitally. I read the the um, PDF, the preview PDF that DC sent out, mm-hmm. and I didn't like it. Mm. I really did have a lot of feelings about that. I was like, this is not working for me. Why is it not working for me? Like, I'm really disappointed because, as you know, I was really excited about it. Oh, yes. Um, and it just didn't work. It just didn't. It lay flat on the page. Uh, it, it, the pacing fell off. It, it did not work. Mm. DC sent a print uh, issue as well because they do that with, with certain launches. Right. And it works. Hmm. And I don't know what the difference is. And you may or may not know this. DC changed the way they do preview PDFs now in that they cease to exist on the Tuesday before the comics come out. So I can't even go back and check anymore. Right, and feel what was it? You just yeah. know that all it I, didn't. All I know is I read it uh, digitally, and I was really disappointed. And honestly, like more upset than I should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sense that it didn't work. Hmm. Like legitimately, very, very sad that it didn't work because this is such a thing for me. Hmm. Um, and then I read the print version, honestly, because again, like it was there. Right. Uh, and it did work. And I don't know what the difference is. Hmm. But the, the discrepancy, the, 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 the disconnect there has left me feeling weirdly suspicious about it. Yeah, I would think so. Cause in a way, it's like, is it the print or is it the digital or is it that classic experience of, your expectations were too high the first time they were dashed. And then when you picked it up the second time, your expectations were super low. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Huh. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Um, 
but it was a very like I it, it is one of those cases where like I feel completely okay saying I had all the feels because I did. Yeah, no shit. Like, well, do I you multiple things about it? Can you? Uh, is there a way for you to sort of specifically talk? Maybe either by talking about something that really bothered you the first time, and then you were like, "Oh, this is okay." The second time, like, is there a specific uh, yeah, element well, component, maybe story wise? Or felt very off. Mm. Uh, it's very much a, uh, an issue of two halves, mm-hmm. but like the two, in, uh, by which I mean like two intercutting storylines. Like, plot one happens, then plot one takes a break for plot two to take effect, and plot one comes back in, mm-hmm. uh, and it felt very choppy. Mm. It felt very. Um, especially the the plot one part of it mm-hmm. felt like things were just happening and it wasn't flowing and it wasn't organic right uh, and like it was just like okay something needs to happen in this page something's happening like and it felt very uh false mm-hmm. very forced and that's not the case reading it in print but reading it digitally i was just like this feels like he was struggling through this comic mm-hmm. like even even digitally i was like there's stuff i like here um but it feels like you know especially the start of the comic was really rough mm-hmm and that doesn't feel to be the case in the second, and then they're reading it uh, uh, in print, mm-hmm. um, which is really strange because it should feel choppier because the print version obviously has the ads in it, right? You right. know, it has it. It it shouldn't like it should feel worse. It should feel choppier, mm-hmm. and yet it didn't. It felt like it flowed more better. Mm. It felt that the because it's it's also got the it's got like the trademark slash cliche bend of dialogue in there mm. where characters get in their own way when they're talking mm-hmm. and there's a lot of parentheses and asides mm-hmm. uh, which again when I was reading digitally I was just like oh no mm-hmm. like, uh, and again reading it in print I was like no this is working mm. it's it's such a strange thing it was such a strange thing mm. um, but you know good I guess in that I ended up <laughs> it. But it really did leave me go how do I feel about this comic you know, like, how, and also, how am I going to feel about it long term? How am I going to feel moving forward? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, yeah, it was a strange experience. Uh, on the flip side of that, I read, and it's coming out this week, because again, DC sends out their previews on Friday for the following week. Next week, Superman, which mm-hmm. is the start of the big Superman reveal storyline. Yes, right. Uh, but it's a prologue issue. It's essentially a fill-in for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. And... Again, it's got the bendest, cliche, jokey people getting in their way dialogue. Mm-hmm. But it works. It, it gives a lightness to Superman that feels still feels very unusual, mm-hmm. but also feels like it's undercutting Superman enough. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? That it, it, it really brings a lightness that I like to that uh, title mm-hmm. and to that character in particular. So the, the issue is Superman is coming to terms with like, you know, I, I – I feel really uncomfortable, like having a secret identity. It feels like I'm lying to people, mm-hmm. and and so he's thinking about it, and it ends with him, um, talking to Supergirl and basically saying like, I kind of want to do something, hmm. and Supergirl's reaction is so a cliche Bendis, but b so light compared with you know what you expect from a Superman comic, right? That it lands really well. Hmm. Like he's, he says to he says to her something like, you know, I've been thinking about something that's very important. And she's like, what is it? And he goes, it's about truth. And she's like, of course it is. <laughs> you know? And like that, that's a gag that works. Yes. Yeah. 
You know, like, of course she'd be impatient with that. Mm-hmm. It's like, especially there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shit, this works. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't, but it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it's... So the short version is, I'm not sure how I feel about Legion. Uh, but his Superman is still working for me. Mm-hmm. I'm also, I read the last issue of Event Leviathan. Oh, the last issue um, is that coming up that, this week? Or? Yeah, it's coming okay. up this week. Okay. So I won't say anything to spoil it. Mm. Um, but I will say this: the reveal and what it does for DC mythology. People who know my love for certain parts of DC mythology will understand quite why I am as thrilled as I am about the way the series ends. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Damn. Okay. That's uh, that's one of those things where it's like I don't think I'll be buying the rest of the series, so maybe I'll ask you about it off air because I don't mind being spoiled, but I totally get why you absolutely can't. Well, I mean, it's literally the last issue of a six-issue miniseries, which has all been about a mystery, right? So, if I were to before the last issue was out, yes. Say, Guess who Leviathan is, Jeff? It's blah, blah, blah. Like, that right. is astonishingly a dick move for yeah. anyone. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's three things I want to talk about very quickly that I realized I had forgotten about. Um, bef- back when we started this call, I'm like, wow, I'm going to blow Graham's brains when I mention blah, blah, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, do it in the next six minutes, because then I'm going to start buzzing. So go. Okay, so uh, End of the Fucking World Season 2 is on Netflix. It is surprisingly good. I don't know how long it's been up. I don't know if it's, if if everyone, like, if it just hit. Uh, but No, the... I want to say it's been up, like just a week or so like i feel like it's relatively new right and so part of me considering how big the first season was i was like oh if it's on and no one's talking about it like kind of like oh maybe it's going to be shit it is actually quite good um i liked season two a lot i thought uh it's interesting because of course you know i'm a big charles foreman fan and booster and i just haven't been paying attention to twitter so i don't know if he talked about season two the same way that he really did a wonderful job of talking about season one. Um, But I just really wasn't aware. I knew there was going to be a second season. Uh, The, the, for people who liked both the graphic novel and the show and were aware that they were similar, but different season two of end of the fucking world ends up being the characters end up being much more as you would expect the, they're more like the show characters. Like by the time you get to sure, the end, yeah, it's yeah. gone a far way from where they originally were as a graphic novel. But A, it's still quite good. And B, the first episode of um, season two is, I don't think was written by uh, Chuck, but is very Foreman-esque in a way that is a really smart. So it's very smart. Also very smart, which I liked a lot, uh, Terminator Dark Fate, which is the... um, See, I don't want to be reductive, but the way to basically say, like, making Terminator... Making, essentially, Terminator, but with 
lesbians is great. It's a really good, solid, smart idea. It's reductive because actually what it is, is it's Terminator with a stronger and even stronger focus on the female characters. Um, that is, that works very, very well. Uh, the action sequences are a little meh at first get, everything gets much better in the second half, which is great. I saw it at the Alamo and uh, one of the things in the pre-show, someone was talking about how Terminator 1 is a horror movie. Terminator 2 is kind of a perfect action movie. And Terminator 2, in, in the course of it, I'm like, oh, right. Terminator 2 is such a good movie that it's a franchise ender. And I think that that's ironic and funny in a way because part of James Cameron's idea when he was working on Terminator 2 is that idea of like, what's the ultimate enemy? And at the time he was um, reading a lot on Buddhism and other things for Point Break, which, you know, he did the uh, several script versions of. And he was very much that idea of like, oh, water. Like, you know, I, I know, you know, uh, Wushu, I think, Kung Fu is that idea of learning how to fight like you, you're water, like you're flowing mm -hmm. against your opponent. And so Cameron's like, yeah, the perfect unstoppable villain uh, enemy would essentially be water. He decides he designs the T-1000. And what I love is it's such a great uh, Terminator one upsmanship that no one has been able to one up it. Yeah, ever yeah exactly the, the, the terminator has pe peaked with that film exactly and so dark fate as much as i do like it 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 still loses to terminator 2 it's still essentially a rehash where you see them like they're like oh but what if we sort of combine the t1000 and the t800 what do you think of that it's like it's basically still not better than Terminator 2. And they're like, no, not really at all. But but can't you kind of imagine that it's maybe almost as good, kind of? So <laughs> it, it could, could be worse. It could be Genesis. Right. No, it, it could be Genesis. It could be, honestly, I kind of liked Rise of the Machines. Wait, is that? It could be Salvation. Yes, it could definitely be a salvation. Salvation, Genesis, I mean, let's face it, even Rise of the Machines, which I thought had a very, very surprisingly decent car chase, which is, you know, of course, a prerequisite in Terminator movies, still suffered from um, casting embarrassments and just uh, uh, varying levels of up its own assness. So... Um, so yes, Terminator, Dark Fate, but by, by taking, by retelling the story through a very strong women focus and that women focus being, um, sort of lesbian coded in an old school way, you know, that, that is, how do I put it? It's not, it's not, I feel it's not being coded as lesbian as a way to subvertly or secretly reach out to lesbian members of the audience. But by making it coded, it then becomes more inclusive. You know what I mean? Which is why that I say that it's actually a little reductive to just be it. But that being said, um, yeah, I definitely walked out of that with like, oof, some of my lesbian crushes of old 
were just like, oh, I mean, anyway, so not bad. And then Graham, I have to say the other night, this I don't think was even when I was high. I don't think it must not have been because it was several nights ago. I was thinking about the pervasiveness of the concept of the comic book movie. And let me tell you, I, as a, um, as a challenge to myself, I challenged myself to think of three movies, at least three movies that the movie had at least two stars from the Marvel Cinematic Universe in it. And then to up it, to make it more difficult to make those movies each based on a comic book property or adaptation that wasn't a Marvel property. And you know what? I fucking did it. Can you do it? Um, uh, let's see. When you said that, the first thing I was going to say was like, I saw Jojo Rabbit last night, um, which mm. features Sam Rockwell, Taika Waititi, and uh, Scarlett Johansson. Oh, you're right. But yeah, um, that but that's could be one. Comic. But yeah, no, you're right. So it doesn't comic. work. Right. Um, I, I not off the top of my head. Okay, I'll give you the three. Oh, it's Scott Pilgrim. Yes, Chris Evans and Brie Larson, and maybe yeah. more. Uh, the way there's three, you're telling me. Yeah, uh, there's uh, at least um, three. I can tell you okay, the other no, two. What, what are the other two? The other two, unsurprisingly is also Chris Evans, because he's in everything. Chris Evans That's and, uh, no, no, no uh, Tilda Swinton in Snowpiercer. Oh, it? shit, yes. And, and this is the crazy one, Samuel Jackson and Scarlett Johansson in The Spirit. Oh, shit. <laughs> yes. Wow, there's a film I haven't thought about for a long time. Right, right. So anyway, the thing that's very scary is, A, I was... Um, remarkably pleased with myself but that really only was five minutes of work like it came together surprisingly easy and that's not me looking on the internet that's just me racking my brain yeah so i the weird part was it kind of went into like oh those mcu people they're fucking everywhere and the marvel comics the cinematic universe since it's so many fucking movies has so many people in it that it's kind of the you know seven degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, but then realizing that all of them were in comic book properties, I was like, Oh, well fuck. Like that's, that really does kind of speak to how much the success over the last 20 years or 30 years, depending on how far you want to go back of comic book movies means that so many of these things enter the consciousness, even if they don't hit, which, you know, Unfortunately, Scott Pilgrim only did as a cult way. Uh, Snowpiercer, uh, again, kind of as a cult way. And The Spirit as uh, as a, no, not even cautionary close tale. way. Yeah, as a cautionary <laughs> tale way. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you for putting it that way. Yeah. But, uh, which is weird because I really had that moment of like, was there nobody from Frank Miller's Sin City that has appeared in an MCU movie? Like, it's kind of weird, right? I mean, surely so, right? Maybe? What's really funny is my first thing I thought of, like, is anyone in a history of violence? Oh, nice. 
No, no, I don't think so. I can think, no. I think of one MCU person one. in history. Like, yeah, yeah, right. William, William Hurt, Hurt, right? But yeah. no one else. Like, fuck. Like, five years from now, when they cast Vigo, who would Vigo right, Mortensen exactly. be the, in the MCU? He's going to be Adam Morlock. Ugh. Really? You think? Maybe. <laughs> I, just, I just threw a name check. I don't that's know. such a bad. Come on, Graham. Honestly, get, get back and do care. the work. Do the work. Do the I work. Oh, come uh, on. Ah. Here's the thing. I, honestly, I'm at the point where I'm like, Marvel's just going to swallow everyone. No, I know. Like, but I mean, that's 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 the only thing that's left that's not utter despair about it, Graham. You could talk, of course, about that thing that everyone was shitting on, as I think, well, they should, because I believe it was either this week or this week that everyone finally got enough fiber in their diet to shit on it. But Kevin Feig talking about how the Marvel, that, that people who wanted to understand the MCU movies going forward. will have to watch the Disney Plus shows. Yeah, which is fucking shit. Like, that is kind of... I mean, I mean, but at the same time, like, while that's... And, and, you know, I said this on Twitter and people were like, that's not actually what he said, and... Shame on me for not reading the story, but also, I'm sorry I had other things to do. But <laughs> like that's that's been out that's been out there as a concept since they announced it, right? Yeah. Because they basically said that as much at San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's just... why I thought it seemed like secondhand news. I was like, why did I think that this had been mentioned before? Well, right, also okay. because apparently he didn't actually see it. Ah, and again, I, I, I again do not care enough to have gone to check, but um. It's but they it's San Diego. They were like you know, one division and some another of the shows like ties into Doctor Strange and the Mountain of Madness or whatever it's called, right? Multiverse of Madness, Multiverse of Madness, probably um, a terrible title, you know. And and then blah blah blah, like Falcon and then Winter Soldier ties into blah blah blah. Like that's kind of obvious, sure. Question mark. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like. That's a terrible idea. But, you know, that said, Disney Plus launches this week coming up. No, exactly. Apparently, right. apparently the Mandal- first episode of The Mandalorian has a massive Star Wars spoiler in it. Oh. Um, which, you know, the only way it can be a massive spoiler is if it ties into the new film. Right. Because there's only one more fucking film coming out in the next three years. Sure. Right. Right. Um, it would be great if it spoils Solo, a Star Wars story. Well, no, it would be great if, like, it doesn't spoil anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it literally is, like, you know, something that if you follow the mythology is massive, but has nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> do you know what I mean? If they're, right. like, in the first episode of Mandalorian, we revealed that Jedis are all, you know, all imagining it. Right, yeah. The, the, you know? All Jedis like, are the Knights of Ren or something. Yeah, yeah. you know? Right. And, like, it has nothing to do with the film. would actually be hilarious. Mm-hmm. But, but it, you know, it won't be. It'll be... I actually have a theory as to what it's going to be, and I, I even said this in THR, um, which is... Because Mandalorian happens after Return of the Jedi, but before The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And I'm... You know, I'm... Spoiler warning, question mark, not really because there's nothing to say this is true right. other than it's my speculation. Right. I'm wondering if Mandalorian's going to reveal that the Emperor's alive, which we know from the trailers for the new film. Oh, they're basically going to be like, here's how he's alive. You right, know? right. Well, that I, I have to say that's a relief. I really had that moment of like, oh, shit, that would actually suck if they reveal like race 
parentage or whatever. It, it, but also, it would make no sense because right now Disney Plus is launching in three countries. Right. And my idea that like you put something that's actually important for the rest of the, the movie. Well, George the Mills can't unless they pirate it. Yeah, but is dumb. yeah, but I mean, <laughs> see, that's it, Graham. Again, the whole world seems to be following in the footsteps of the comic book industry. We've had things spoiled in issues that came out before oh, the sure, issue. Sure. Yes. You know what I yes. mean? Like yes. it is. No, the... no, I, I, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. So, uh, I like a lot of my reading this week was taken up reading um, Star Wars: Resistance Reborn, which is a novel between that takes place before the new film. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jeff. Let me tell you, that book is a fucking masterpiece of, I guess we have to tie together all the ancillary material. <laughs> it, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, a, it's an enjoyable read, it's a super fast read, but also the plot of the book is literally the end of Last Jedi killed off the Resistance. What if the Resistance is saved by guest stars from the video games, cartoons, comics, and novels? Oh, no. Then... At the spoilers at the end of the book, just fuck off so you don't have to see them in the film. Yeah. Oh, but that's the plot of the book. Oh, it makes sense. I how do I put it? That feels very J.J. Abrams esque. You know what I mean? It, it's it's here's the thing. It's a fun read. It genuinely is. Sure, right, sure. right. And, and I'm not like I am in no way, you know an expert in everything to do with this. But I've read enough Star Wars novels and comics mm-hmm. um, and know enough about the cartoons to recognize that, like, these people have had lives elsewhere. And so there is a moment of being like, oh, that's actually kind of smart. Yeah, no, again, that, very J.J. Like, sure. Abrams-esque. Smart, fanservice-y, entertaining oh, fan enough. It's, it's, it's shockingly fanservice Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, but, you know, so, so put it this way, Star Wars is clearly a story that Lucasfilm is aware exists outside of the movies. Mm-hmm. And given what's happening with the movies right now, mm-hmm. it's a franchise that's going to exist primarily outside the movies for probably the next four or five years. Right, right. Um, and so it makes sense that they're like, let's put weight on other things. But also the idea that they're going to do an actually serious plot development in something that the majority of the world is not going to be able to see unless they pirate it feels a bit too much like a fuck you mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know like, i think that's that if that's actually what happens it's going to be another example of of a, a bad decision by the people in church star wars right right yeah 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 i am hmm We'll see. I I, uh, I I have to get up very early on Tuesday to watch it. So wow. So we'll see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I have a great job, and I, I you know what I mean that I do have a great job. No, you but do. It's also, yeah. that, it's also funny that sometimes you're like, oh, I guess I've got to get up at six o'clock on Tuesday morning to watch a Star Wars TV show. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> it is kind of crazy, but that's why I think there was one point when you were sort of talking about the Kevin Feige story where you're like. Ah, uh, I have to admit, people, I didn't, I didn't read it very closely because you know I have a life, and I was like, ah, uh, when an entertainment reporter casts shade on an on entertainment stories being important. Oh that's... no, it's, it's uh, I, I, I the short version is 
my week is always scheduled really heavily towards the end of the week for work. Yes. And so if something basically happens after Thursday afternoon, right. unless it's something I'm actually working on. Right. You're just not going to have It does actually time. happen. Yeah. Like I'm really vaguely aware it exists and that's it. Right. I see. Interesting. Huh. That's a fun fact to know about you, Graham McMillan. Hello. So, yes, everyone, if you want to outfox Graham, make sure that yeah, you drop it, it with no Thursday warning afternoon. on Thursday yeah. afternoon. Yeah, he will be completely flummoxed about it up to the time that I uh, spring it on him uh, unawares uh, the night we speak. Very exciting to know. Graham, we talked, speaking of springing it on you, we talked through the period where we would normally start right. buzzing and did not. So we can move right on to closure if you want or something else no let's probably let's closure close it up mm-hmm. let's close it up and i'd like to point out to everyone that i haven't said the words flex mentalo once this episode that is true i ended up behaving myself a lot more almost disappointingly so so sorry everyone i really thought that i was going to be you did you you legit you legitimately thought that something terrible was going i re- happen. i and thought I, I knew i knew i it wasn't just me like at one point i was driving home and again had maybe this is it i tempered myself tempered myself with caution but there was a point after driving back from spending way more time than i'd intended to with my mother that we were in the car talking and my beloved wife edie said oh my god i have to call graham and warn him i have to warn him (laughs) because i don't know if he's going to be ready for this. I don't. Here's think... the here's the funny part, and the fact that the point that we have been doing this podcast for too long. Yeah. Mid afternoon today, I was like, I feel like I need to check in with Jeffins as to whether he's okay for doing the podcast tonight. <laughs> Did you? I didn't see the email though. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't send any, the uh, email then because basically I was like, I was doing other things, <laughs> but. <laughs> But no, I, I, there was a moment where I was like, I, I feel like I need to check. And, and I was like, I'm, no, I'm, just, I'm being ridiculous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you probably wouldn't have heard back from me because I was in the process of essentially having my – the only thing worse than being gaslit by a parent is having them fail. And then you have to sit there <laughs> – and decide whether or not you call them on their absolute fucking horseshit or you let them get away with their failed attempt to gaslight you. God damn it. So anyway. Um, I wouldn't know, Jeff. My parents are dead. Oh, well, fuck you, Graham. <laughs> uh, congratulations. Uh, we have, we have, play we in the card. Yeah, oh, we have talked before. my I, God. I Flex Mentalo. Flex Mentalo. <laughs> uh, we have talked before this podcast. I'm fairly sure about the time to just drop the "I wouldn't know my parents are dead" card. Yeah, well done. You know, I gotta say that was better than the time that I mentioned uh, your beloved cat who was dead, and you were like, where I said something like, "Yeah, you know, some hypothetical like the cat jumping on your cat keyboard," and you're like, "My cat is dead, Jeff, dead." You're an utter bastard. I love you tremendously, but man, you are you are you are a sneaky thing. Uh, you know what's really sad? While I take the point you're making, yes. it's also kind of tragic that both of those examples involved people or things that I love. 
that have actually died. Oh, yeah. No, it's true. It absolutely is true. It is I true. I have bastard, yeah. and yet it's all because people keep dying around me. No, the no, end. no, no, no. I mean, oh, okay, let's put it this way. If your no, point was say, actually... Please say what I think you're going to say. If your point was actually to 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 shame me about bad-mouthing my mom for unsuccessfully oh, no, gaslighting no, no, my, me. My, no, my, no, I would not shame you for that at all. Okay. She 100% deserves to be shamed for that. I honestly <laughs> just did it because I thought it was funny. Okay, that's what I thought. And that's where I was like, oh, damn you. Because, of course, I, I, you, it was hilarious. But it was such a... I thought it was working up a good head of comedic steam. And yeah, just slammed it down, Graham. You just... You are. You're... I'm, you are a man I'm, without mercy. Yeah. You slam Bradley? I am a man without mercy. I am Bradley? Yes, Bradley. I am a man without mercy and also a man who's going to tell you that Jeff is going to write show notes for this episode and they're going to be up at waitwhatpodcast.com. Meanwhile, you can see stuff at waitwhatpod.tumblr.com and on instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. Jeff has a Twitter, but I'll get to the Wait What Podcast Twitter first at Wait What Podcast. <laughs> Jeff has a Twitter at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S T. God, I've forgotten how to spell. L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast, which means Jeff can pull himself out of his gaslit spiral to talk about <laughs> why everyone has been very kind to give us money. It's Jeff? true, Graham. Wow. Every time... Every time you do. Come on, I even said Patreon and then kept talking to no, you. I, but you do it wrong. You do it by like, and Patreon, which is a thing. And then you say the shit or 80% of the shit that I should say. And then you're like, go, Jeff, take it. And I'm like, what do I say that he hasn't said? Now I, you know what I mean? Like, you're not just like, oh, ho, ho, here I am vamping and creating time for my friend Jeff. It's like, while Jeff is preparing what he's going to say, I'm going to say something that is going to undercut his preparation. Go! <laughs> what Jeff wouldn't tell you is that he's really grateful for everyone who's been supporting us through Patreon. <laughs> That's right, Graham. Especially, uh, I can't, I can't remember, uh, I can't remember the cat's name. Ah. Empress Audrey, Empress Audrey. God, that joke would have landed better. If I, I know, it was, It would have been golden. It would have been golden. It does make me feel like, okay, I'm not a 100% replaceable yet. So, listeners, you guys are the best. You really are. You uh, make it through episodes like this that have its they're really uh, absurd moments. And then, honestly, you also put up with the episodes that maybe don't have as many absurd moments. You give us the freedom and the latitude to do both or either as... Uh, as sort of suits Graham and I, and that's that's incredibly valuable um, for our ability to sort of keep things fresh and vital after all these years, and also sort of allow us the ability to just talk, which is really wonderful and so needed by me um, once a week or so, probably more even. Anyway... On top of that, the people at Patreon um, are a wonderful group of people who listen to us and actually throw a little bit of their hard-earned dosh our way, also making it a little bit easier for us to 
Um, stay inspired. Uh, keep some skin in the game. If by skin I mean a certain amount of cash to buy a certain amount of comics to allow for a certain amount of conversation. It is very, very wonderful and very appreciated. And we are certainly incredibly grateful to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we are uh, very, very grateful for her continuing support of this podcast and for this little um, neck of the celestial realm. I'll be very curious to hear uh, what she may have had to think about Legion of Superheroes issue one. And now I hand things back to the man with a mission in two or three editions, Graham McMillan. Graham? Well, now I want to know what my editions of missions are, besides the Amazing Rhyme. Is that some sort of reference I don't get? It is. It, it, is, a, it is a reference to Every Day I Write the Book by Elvis Costello. Oh, boy. I just the other day was listening to a bunch of Elvis Costello, and I totally didn't catch that. Mm. Mm-hmm. The reason I was listening to Elvis Costello is the dumbest reason possible, which oh, is – um, Wait, on you go. What? No, no. What is it? Um, have you been paying attention to the news this week? Uh, not much, no. Why? Rudy Giuliani announced that he had hired attorneys, and one of the attorneys is Robert Costello. Ah. Uh, actually, I was like, oh, Costello. Um, but Robert Costello is the guy who told Michael Cohen that he could sleep easy because he had friends in high places before Michael Cohen went to jail for a long time. Wow. Um, yeah. Hell. There you go. And with that news break, I'm going to tell you that we are back. Jeff, are we back next week or in two weeks? We never actually uh, made a decision about this. It we, is next week we're doing Drock, right? Uh, well, I think so. I think so. If you if you can hit that, I think we should do it. Let's, I I can hit that. My, actually, the reason I was asking was to make sure you could. I know. That's a bunch of reading. Uh, yeah, I think I can. I think I can. Let's shoot for it. Okay. Next then uh, we're going to be back. Drock next week, and we're going to be doing Judge Dredd Restricted Case Files, Volume 1. Oh, shit. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you see, that, ladies and gentlemen, was that Jeff realizing he really does have a lot of reading to do. <laughs> well, no, I actually was oh, me. Shit. No, I know, I know, I know, we'll talk about We've this gotta later, We've got to talk Jeff. about it later, but yeah, yeah I'm I so glad no, you said I that. I would have been like, I, okay, here I am, I, let's yep. talk about Volume I, 10. I, I know. That's why it was so funny that you went, oh, shit. <laughs> one last, we'll be back next week for some trade. Oh, shit. There's one last ah, thing I wanted to say. Now it's your oh, shit. No, no. One last thing, which is, um, as we're recording this, it is Saturday the 9th of November. Yes. Ten days from now, which is to say the 19th of November, in Clackamas, Oregon, I am going to be at a Barnes and Noble with Josh Williamson. Wow! She won. Um, Sorry, uh, I, I, I wowed over it. What are you? What will you be talking about? Flash Year One. Ah, thank you. The graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the collection of the of the storyline. Uh, so, anyone in the area, come and say hello. God, I wish that was me. How? Absolutely surreal is that, right? Yeah, that's great. And, yeah, 19th of November. So there you go. That's the thing that's happening. Um, yeah, anyway, other than that, I guess the only thing that uh, remains is for me to go, bye! Yay!